everybody to Chat with the Hat, episode two. We've got episode one done in the can, all ready for you guys to listen to on Spotify, Google Pod, Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Dave, and this is your other host, Rowan. Hey guys, how's it going? Good to be back. Welcome back to uh, episode two. First one's done and dusted. If you've uh, had a listen to that, hope you're uh, ready for even more shenanigans in our episode two. This one's got a lot of content, so brace yourself and bring it on. We do. We have some very exciting news on this one, which we've already announced last time. So before we get it all away, gamelife.com.au. Thank you very much to Jason Sween. He's uh, providing all the audio and the video equipment and accessories. And for the ones that are watching the podcast on YouTube, you can actually see these little phone cradles that he gives you. So you slot your phone in there and you plug the microphone on top and a speed light multicolored speed light on the side it's a full chassis full little phone cage it's a magnificent piece of kit i take that with me down the track and do my little chats so thanks jace jason sweeney at game life that's enough plugs for you now so let's get right into it let's get into the potty so we've had some racing rowan we have we've had a, a lot of racing since we last done it so speed series down in uh Tasmania and uh, I think Sandown as well they had a little bit there so or was that just the Victorian series but we've had a little bit and then Newcastle this weekend just gone which was uh the, the brand new gen 3 cars finally hit the track so plenty plenty of racing for us to talk about today it's going to be fun but let's kick off with some speed series I reckon okay speed series down at AWC Tasmania I uh flew down there for the weekend to watch the Shannon speed series they had their TCRs the TCMs, which is Touring Car Masters, Muscle Cars. They had the Trans Ams and S5000s, S5, plus a couple of local categories as well, local XLs and sedans. Um, well, let's start off with uh, TCRs, shall we? Start with the big boys. Why not? So we'll uh, just, just go into the round results anyway to begin with. So young Bailey Sweeney came away with the round victory and uh, championship lead after round one. So 137 points, closely followed by last year's uh, championship winner, Tony D in second. Probably wouldn't have been those results if it wasn't for some issues for the uh, for the Audis. Zach Suter and, uh, and poor Willie Brown lingering at the bottom of the championship table there with uh, 10 and zero points respectively. So, and that was only because Will got pole position for the for the first race. But other other than that, they are uh, poor MPC Audi guys didn't get any points. So that was a that was a bit of a bummer for them. But kudos to Bailey Sweeney for an absolute dominant weekend. He got two race wins and uh, came away with a you know nice comfortable championship lead on that one. So well done, Bailey. You smashed it. Bring it on for round two. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, but I, I suppose that's a next talking point we should go into anyway, which was probably the, the big one for the weekend, which was those Audis having an absolutely identical fault with the uh, drivetrain absolutely shearing itself in half. So that was uh, two cars built a year apart, same cars, identical cars, but built a year apart, having an absolutely identical drivetrain failure was a just a, an absolute puzzler for the mpc audi guys on the weekend and that was that was probably the big talking point put both of them out of the uh, out of the race for the weekend so they got back on track but lasted <laughs> lasted a few minutes and that was it so and uh you you were there i think you heard a little bit more about it dave so what's your take on that one yeah so so what's happened for the people who didn't see it the, the drive shaft coming from the diff out to the wheel where the splines were for the drive shaft itself, 
at the base of that, it sheared clean off, snapped. So we've, I think we've got a, uh, an engineering materials problem here because the hairpin is so slow and they're so loaded up when they're coming out of that hairpin. There's no other tight of turn in any track that we race in Australia. So they're flying down the straight to turn four, hit the anchors hard, 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 pull up to 60 k's an hour, flip it around and then just load up and identical failures just torque snapped them basically just torque snapped these are the the rs3 gen 2 cars so these are the current audi cars and i haven't been able to find out if there's had similar failures overseas yet but lucky manif was in will's will brown's last year's car the gen 1 car for the audi and had no issue and no other model of a car there had any kind of drivetrain problem either so once they turned their cars into a one-wheel drive, it was really quite <laughs> really quite hard for them to get around just to keep the thing straight because obviously it's only got drive on one wheel. It's trying to put it in the fence the whole time. So they pull in, find the issue. Now we're stuck. We're at Launceston, end of the day, after hours, on a Saturday, trying to find an engineering mob that would be prepared to weld it up. As a Hail Mary. There are no parts. I've heard no, they can't get components. There's none in Australia. It's not a standard road going gearbox. So you can't get your parts from an Audi dealership. They don't have them. So they needed to weld it up as a Hail Mary fix with zero confidence that it was going to last, which they ended up doing. They found a guy in Lonnie and he sorted them out. And there's a six to eight month wait for the components that they actually need, whether it's a whole, yes, ouch, whether it's the whole gearbox or whether it's just a drive shaft, six to eight months is what we were hearing at the time. And it's coming from overseas. So they'll, they'll get it sorted for the next round, but that put paid to their campaign. And Will Brown and Bailey Sweeney were qualifying one one hundredth of a second apart from each other. So it was between the Hyundai and the Audi, it was going to be neck and neck racing between those two teams for the whole weekend, which is a real disappointment. Well, that. I was going to say, even when uh, Will got back on track for the, for the, you know, they did get both the Audis back on track for race two, and Will, Will smashed his way through that field before the uh, before the drivetrain went again. Like he went from dead last, only thirteen cars there last, uh, you know, that weekend. But he went from dead last to fourth, to fourth, or yeah, got himself to fourth before the drivetrain went again. So you know, it was a uh, that, that car's clearly, clearly fast. They just got to fix out those issues. Yeah, there were two philosophies. Zach wanted to nurse the car off the line and not try to load it and try to just get home for some points. Because in this instance, there was only 13 cars that went to Tassie. The cost of going down there on the boat at the moment, plus airfares accommodation for your crew, was so high that half the field decided not to go down to Tassie. It's two grand just to put the car on the boat to get it down there at the moment. Mm. And that's on, on top of all the other costs of hosting your team. So if they could manage to get back to the end, complete the race, they would have got points for sitting 12th and 13th instead of 20th or 22nd or 24th or 26th. So, but that didn't work either. So No. Well, so, Will's, Will's yeah. attitude was the opposite. Will's was, I don't care. I'm going to floor it. <laughs> I'm just going to fang it and absolutely tear through the field, which he did. And he said, when it goes, it goes. But in the meantime, I'm out here to race. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take positions, take positions, take scalps. And he yeah. was flying, and absolutely flying. 
I mean, clearly that was the way to go because it was going to fail anyway. So you may as well have some fun while you're out there because Zach, Zach potted around and still ended up coming in a, a lap or two earlier than Will did as well. So they, uh, the potter, pottering around done bugger all to help him. Yeah. Zach's failed first and Will with the foot to the floor actually uh, <laughs> made more laps before it failed. So Bailey Sweaty, congratulations to him, young fella. Absolutely dominated everybody, especially with the Audis out of his way. He had a clear track and drove away from everybody, which was exciting for him. What's next? Next category, TCMs. Uh, we go T- TCMs. Yeah, may as well talk TCMs. Johnny Bowers, uh, farewell at his hometown track. So that was uh, unfortunately didn't end the way uh, Johnny had wanted it to. Well, it ended the way he wanted it to, thanks to uh, Stevie J's courtesy, but it didn't start the way he wanted it to. So had a, uh, a few issues with the, uh, I think it was the engine in that one, oil oil pump or something, wasn't it? And yeah, the lost, oil. Lost, lost an engine, yeah. So. Oil, oil pump. The oil pump belt flung off. And yeah. So he was driving around on this brand-new motor that has just been built, and he loves it. And now he's got no oil pressure. So they had to do an engine swap, which meant he missed the uh, second race and had no points there. But like you said, the third race, Steve Johnson was miles in front. Miles. Tyres tires were cooked. cooked oh, then, his, tires, then yeah. his tires were so cooked, <laughs> so very, very cooked that he slowed up so badly that John Bauer had to come past and take the win. Oh, that was uh, very un- surprising. It was unlucky. It, it must, must have been those fresh tyres that JB had from missing race two. Uh, all, all you can put that down to. Absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. <laughs> like I've never, seen, I've never seen a set of tyres go off the cliff so drastically <laughs> in half a lap that you now yeah, lose your 300-metre lead. <laughs> just vanished. And, and then managed to find something in the last bit just to make sure you don't go further back than second. And just yeah. you know, just so, like tucked in behind the Tirana. Modern miracle. Modern oh, miracle that one. Yeah. Stevie Jay's a he's a he's a good driver on dead tires. So um other than that, uh, the only other issue was there with Cam Tilly and his pacer, Valiant Pacer. This is a repeat offense. Uh windscreen fell off again. Yeah, it has happened before, I think. I can't remember Bathurst. where, but I do. Uh, yeah, it was Bathurst, wasn't it? Coming, yeah, that's right. Coming yeah. Da- yeah, coming down Conrad, it just blew yeah. in on him, and then the back window blew out. But, yeah. But no, he, right, uh, so. yeah, his, his windscreen started falling out again. So, again, to put the Hail Mary out on social media, Saturday night in Launceston, does anybody have a windscreen for a Valiant Pacer? 1960. Eight value pacer or something. That's a hail mirror if ever I've heard one. Like they're not they're not the most common cars around. That's for sure. I mean, I know Taz has been accused of being a little bit backwards, but you're still not expecting to see Valiant Pacers <laughs> going down the main street of like Launceston or Hobart. But the uh no, they found one. They they actually found one. They actually went and got it from some guy who had one and put it in his car and was able to continue on racing for the rest of the weekend. So that yeah. Go figure. Well done, Tazzy. Well done. So thank, thank, thank you to that kind Samaritan for uh, getting him back on track. Well, yeah, well done. Don't think he gave it away for free somehow. No, I think, think it was, think it was a, uh, a lady actually, uh, from from what I can remember, but uh, I can't remember her name. So uh, I, I did did see it, but yeah, kudos. Thank you very much because it helped him out and kept him on track. You know, yeah. that's that's what the motorsport community is all about. It's all about that that community and everyone just branding band together to help each other out. So yeah, that's what we're here for. That's Pretty why much. we love it. Pretty much. Um, Rightio. So, well, well done to the TCMs. I love that category. 
old school muscle cars. Great, great. Yes, uh, I think we'll do the. Do, can we go S five thousand next and save the uh, the save yeah. the Trans Ams till last? So, yeah. not a lot to talk about in the S five thousands. Like it's unfortunate because they're awesome cars. They look great. They sound great. They're you know they they fly all around the track. But there's there's only ten of them on track, and unfortunately the racing's a little bit dull. Joey Mawson's just too good. He just absolutely smashes everything. And then you've got uh, you got um, James Golding and who's the uh, who's the other Cooper one? Web- Cooper, Webster. Cooper, Cooper, Cooper Webster. Webster. Second, second, and third. And, and you know they're, they're they're great cars, but they're just there's not enough of them on track. We need to get twenty more cars on track and a little bit more competition, and uh, we'll, we'll see it go. But yeah, Joey Joey Morrison absolutely dominated the weekend. Pole position and three wins. He was unstoppable, and we we just need to see more of those cars on track because it's going to be if if they can get twenty of those cars on track, that series will be amazing but at the moment it's just a a little bit of a letdown with the uh you know the the racing's just not there because they're all just they they spread out and that's it it's game over yeah you see you see a full grid at the melbourne gp because it's actually yeah at the melbourne gp you'll see a full grid there because they want that for the exposure of the category for i didn't i didn't think they were bringing them back i don't think they're there i don't think they're there this year because they're bringing f2 and f3 in so i don't think the s5000s are coming back are they i thought they were I thought I don't I thought, know. I, I thought, I the thought guys, they might. I no, thought they, they might have been flicked. No, nope. I need oh. to check on that. All right. Pretty sure because I'm pretty sure I know of a young driver who's trying to get some sponsorship to get one. All right, good. Well, and actually let's, race. Uh, hope, let's hope they are there then. <laughs> so I think they are using that as our um, open wheeler category to reflect the F2 and F3 that are coming out, which is going to be way cool. Plus the supercars yeah. as well. So it's a pretty packed out field of categories. Yeah. Yeah. What well, what was your thoughts on the S five thousands like actually being there, man? Like, what's the, the the noise they make around that? Like, was it were they actually at least good to watch with the noise and stuff? Or yes, yes, yeah. yeah. They're, they're twitchy. They are a handful. They're a lot better to drive now than they used to be. The tire heat is they're getting the tires, so the heat into the tires a bit earlier. That's why they do the two warm up laps at the start, not just a single, to try to get some grip in those things. The only problem is processional. It's that everybody yeah. ends up in an envelope and they're just racing their own race. You might get one, maybe two, if you're lucky, positional changes generally. They, they're also evenly mashed. Now, the push-to-pass system that they had employed for the first time, they have 45 seconds of push-to-go. So basically the engines are wound down to 90% <coughs> and the driver can choose whenever he wants to get multiple 45 seconds worth of push-to-pass. and it didn't seem to make too much of a difference because I think all mm. the drivers used it at the same point at the track at the same time. So relative to each other, there were some gains that were made, but once you've used it, you don't have any more because it, it, it winds it back up to 100% of engine. Yes. So they zoom around at 90% and then they hit the button and you get 100% output for as long as you've got your finger on the button or you hit, tap the brake. So, nice. So, yeah. Look, they are a great category. Not enough of them, and they yeah, don't get race. Better. They don't race well. They drive fine, but they don't mm. race. They don't race well, so you don't get a lot of wheel to wheel racing. Yeah, which I, hopefully we'll see that change. They'll they'll evolve over the next couple of years, I think, and they'll become something good. But 
yeah, just just a you know, new category. They'll they'll get through those season issues. Yeah, I'll tell you what, mate. The top of the grand, top of the pit lane there, the viewing deck on top of the pits. Whenever they came on circuit, all the fans cool. that were there came down to see them. So there's yeah. definitely definitely interest on them. People weren't oh, yeah. turning their back on them. They were just, and they're outside the garages. Lots of interest. Heaps of people just standing around watching them working 100%. on the cars. So they'll they'll, they'll get there. So we'll move on uh, to the excitement of the weekend. Which was Trans so we a couple a of, couple of surprises in this one. Now, like you said last week, if you're not here to watch car racing because of the accidents, you're a liar. So <laughs> was, exactly, there was a couple of hooly doolies down in the well, Trans Ams. The first, well, the first one was the uh, the, the pit maneuver with our uh, poor Slady down there as a uh, as a standing for the weekend gets a gets a drive for and a uh, couple of laps in gets absolutely pit maneuvered into the uh, into the wall oh. coming into turn four. So who, who was it? I can't remember who it was that uh, that binned him. Um, that's a very good question because it's too long ago and I didn't write it down. Yeah, neither did I. Uh, More for us, but. Uh, yeah, whoever, whoever it was, it was a bloody good pit maneuver, though. That's for sure. So, yeah, California Highway Patrol would have been proud. Yeah, of that one. So, and then uh, that was, uh, yeah, that that was the first big one. And then we had uh, we, we were talking it was, earlier just before it was we Tom went Heyman. live. Heyman, that's the one. Yeah, young bloke. He's only nineteen. That's right, and he just completely missed his braking marker. That's, yeah. uh, that's all it was. Just to... yeah, by about hundred thousand meters. <laughs> <laughs> just drove it. Everyone's rolling out. He's just gone in at full noise and then just all of a sudden piled straight through the back corner of Tim Slade's car. Plowed into him. That was done. And the, yeah, we were talking pre-show about did Moff hit anyone? We didn't think Moffat hit anyone. James James Moffat is you know a bit renowned for it. And then we uh, we, we remembered he did. So <laughs> Yes. Yes. He's, well uh, surprise packet, because he qualified a second faster than anybody else. It's his first time in these cars. He hasn't driven the Trans Am before. So straight out of the box, he was flying. Everyone's looking up and down the lane going, What are we going to do about this? Like he's a full second ahead of everybody else, not a tenth. Well, he's he's got he's got some pedigree in American muscle cars. Like he's comes from a pretty hefty uh, heritage when it comes to racing American muscle cars, that's for sure. That's so, true. Yeah, true. I don't think Alan was there to help him out. He just worked it out himself. <laughs> but no, he done he done good. But no, he did hit someone. He did give a he did take a, a big chunk out of Grice's rear bumper at some point. So they both they both kept on going, and no no major damage to the uh, back of Grice's car at that point. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I reckon that's uh, that'll lead us into the next talking point because well, out of out of all the guys huge. you don't want to hit. Ben Grice is known. He's got a book of feuds. That guy can carry a grudge. Legitimately, he will line you up and wipe you out two rounds down the track if he gets a chance to get to you, like next next month, the month after. So well, he's, he's on the he's, he's on the hit list now. He's, yeah. he's banned from eighty sixes. Is Nick was of because uh, of wiping out the uh, the young lad into the uh, into the back of the Ute in the uh, in the infield. So yeah, but if know. you're going to do it. Don't go on camera the day before and say you're going to do it. Like you can't. You, there's nowhere to go with that at the stewards. You you're at race control, going. No, nah, I didn't really mean to say that I was going to take him out, but you just took him yeah. out. Yeah, but I didn't really mean to take him out. Yeah. But you said you so, were going to take him out. Okay, I've got oh, no, I've got nothing. <laughs> yeah, you're a bit out of luck there. Yeah, so don't do that. But yeah, no. Look, you didn't take someone out as much this time as he just didn't get out of the bloody way to stop someone taking him out. So he carries and, uh, a lot more of the responsibility for this incident oh, 
than 100%. James Simpson does. Yeah. Standing there on the pit lane wall, well, on the pit lane, because it's speed series and you can go wherever you like. And I was hanging out with the Hyundai guys for the whole weekend in their garage, which was way very cool. So there comes flying around the corner and here's the All-American Mustang. Just um, Gricey started rolling at the last or the second last turn, turn six, coming to turn six. He started slowing down all the way around that turn, but didn't leave the circuit, didn't really get out the racing line, didn't really take himself over to the far right of the of the corner. Could have actually pulled into the pits before because he have. knew he had a problem before pit lane, but he didn't. So, he, you know, he blew the- his he blew his gearbox. He wasn't the only one that's had gearbox issues in these cars because they just send mm. it. But he blew his gearbox coming into turn six. So he had no drive at all. Nothing. Select a gear, there's nothing there. So he's rolling on momentum. Didn't take avoiding action to get himself off the racing circuit. Could have gone into the pits, like you said, into the pit lane road because it was available to him at that point. Could have. As could he have was, pulled under the grass. Could have. All of that. Yeah. And even if he chose, which is what he chose to do, was continue driving onto the main straight, he was only on the second line. He was on the second car line, not the the far wall, like not whether the, the mm. third car line where you're clear of anyone coming around. So Simpson's flying around 200-plus k's an hour onto the main straight. I think he had Jet Johnson on the inside of him. Yeah, he was trying to pass Jet around the outside. He was, but he was legitimately making an overtake. Yeah. He was already past him, and yeah. by the time he sort of pulled out in the mid corner, there all of a sudden is this Mustang doing about fifty kilometers an hour, rolling to a stop. Yeah, it hit him at about well, hundred and something k's an hour, two hundred and something easily, hundred fifty k's an hour. Something. I think, like that. I think they said he was doing about one fifty to one seventy when he hit him. Somewhere. So that's that's some speed. Yeah. Well, he used him as he used him as a motor as a motocross jumps ramp. Well, he evil, went, evil, evil, can evil would have been proud, I'd say. So sure, he went straight a... through him, up him, over him, and then landed on his roof, and then slid for about sixty meters down the main straight, and then eventually managed to flip back over and land on all four wheels. While the whole Minus. back of Gracie's car is demolished and doesn't exist, the whole front yeah. of Simpson's car was demolished and didn't exist. Just either. Gone. Gone. So that was some absolute major damage to both of those cars, actually. And with good engineering, luckily both the drivers didn't have any major damage to themselves. They both walked away. Gricey's injured his back a few years ago and has a fused disc, a couple of fused discs. So his back was a bit sore, taking that full-on rear impact. Um, but Samson uh, Simpson was in pretty good order. The rollover was pretty mm. soft. The impact was heavy. But the rollover was nice and slow, and it only went yeah, it was, over once and slid. It was just lucky there was no like wall or anything there, so it did have time to actually slide down and just you know kind of gently flip itself back onto its wheels eventually. And yeah, it was as, as far as rollovers go, it was pretty pretty tame. So oh, it was you know but it looked collision, impressive, but it was pretty tame. Oh, that collision was was brutal, brutal, brutal. And so there's right. a there's been a Motorsport Australia investigation since that round after that race, but they're not actually investigating the actual crash. All the red flags started to come out at some of the marshalling points before the red flags were actually called for. So some cars had seen the red flag and thought the race is done, so they've rolled out. Other cars are still seeing seeing greens, you know. So there's a process error there where the red flags were – it got red flag. Don't get me wrong. That's good. But they got shown – 
earlier than the whole circuit got shown them at the same time. So there was a that's a process there that they need to look into because you can't afford to have half communication half breakdown. Exactly. Some guys are going flat out, other guys are rolling out. You're just gonna have accidents again. So that investigation should be concluded by now. I haven't heard the results yet, but uh, they'll be coming out shortly. Other than that, Tassie, spectacular. Absolutely brilliant for a circuit for a fan. So much fun just to uh, sit on the hill or go down to the pits and sit on the garage. And looks great. I did. I did. Did see your. Did see your mug on uh, on stand a couple of times as well over over the course of the weekend. Pretty hard to miss with the uh, with the hat on. Go with the chat so. hat. Me, you'll find it. Yeah. Find me underneath it. The, uh, the the pit lane walks. Uh, sorry, the grid walks. It's not like supercars. Every man his dog can have one. If you want to come down and wander the grid with the TCRs, you're welcome. You just turn up a quarter four and everybody can come out and have a look up close. Awesome. Yeah. Track, like, what about what, what about the nightlife though, mate? The track's awesome. What about the uh the Tassie nightlife? Ah, spectacular. As long as you're home by 8 30. <laughs> like, what's that about? I come down from my room, I'm staying at a pub. I come down at 8 30, the chairs are on the table, the lights are out, the door's locked. So I walked into town. Wandered through the streets, literally looked like 4.30 in the morning. I took some video, you might have seen it, at the main intersection at the main mall. Not a single car, no, like no signs of life at 8.30. It was a ghost town, absolute ghost town. Uh, that was Tassie. insane. Tassie, it's like <laughs> 2002 down in Tassie. But you, you, you found a pub eventually though, didn't you? Oh, I found one pub who then sent me back to another pub because he was closing. I found him at 9 o'clock. <laughs> And it, he'd already turned the light off as I was walking in the front door, but I, I did find I did find a little um, like a little beer house, and they were open until eleven. So nice. that was I mean, that's, to me. that's that's all right, I guess you know. But eleven still pretty early for us Melburnians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we, yeah we're used to it. Hundred percent we are. But other than that, Tassie, that's the wrap up of the speed series. Good luck to all the guys that were in it. They some fantastic racing. Like honestly, some really good actual racing in these categories it's uh, extremely enjoyable so if you've ever get an opportunity to go to one like go to Phillip Island or Winton go check these categories out TCRs TCMs it's Trans Ams they're fat they're loud they walk they're very very yeah. loose huge huge rear boots on them massive tires on them, these ho- hoosier tires they're awesome um, it's what we were hope it's what we were hoping gen 3 was going to be a little bit more like to be honest with you we'll, get there. So, we'll talk well, yeah. well we'll talk about that now shall we it's we shall let's do it Newcastle bring it on we're we're fresh fresh in our memories it was only done and dusted yesterday afternoon so look it was uh the, the cars look spectacular they are ab- absolutely stunning probably the best looking supercars I've ever seen I think so anyway that's my opinion but uh the racing itself was probably a little bit lackluster, I thought, other than the uh, the top ten shootout. But the racing itself was yeah, so so. But uh, get into it. What, what did you reckon, Dave? You were there. Exactly all of that. The cars have been given a bit. Hard thing with Newcastle is so because of the the layout. There's no pit access to the general public. You can't buy mm. a paddock pass. Oh really? No, that no. sucks. It's yeah. restricted, restricted to corporates and teams. That's that's yeah. the only the only access you get to the paddock. So nobody has a really. So the only chance of watch of looking at one up close is either doing the pit lane walk, and you can't even go closer to the pits than the outside fast lane anyway. Mm. Um, or you 
wait for them to come blasting past at 250 k's an hour and just see the flash screen past. But the car's got a big tick from all the fans. Uh, they sound ace. The Mustang's got this really high-pitched scream. It sounds like it's ripping itself apart. It's Yeah, they sound so much different than each other, which was, I, I love that because there are other cars you could, you know, other than when the Mercs were racing, they all sounded the same. So the fact that they sound so much different, that's that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, the, the top 10 shootout, let's talk about pole position as a, as a rookie at Newcastle. So never been there before, never raced this car, never been at Newcastle before and, and smashes pole position by two tenths of a second over everyone else. The, the guys behind him, you, you said earlier, Dave, you didn't see it because you're at the track, but watching it on television, the top five cars before Brody Kostecki got on track were separated by eight hundredths of a second. So it was just absolutely crazy. They were just so, so tight for, for the top five cars. The top the top 10 cars, like the top 10 shootout, was separated by two hundredths of a second. So, sorry, eight thousandths of a second, the top five were. Two hundredths of a second was the top 10 cars in that shootout. It was insane. So, and then... uh. And then Brody on pole, that was awesome. So, you know, go the, go the Coca-Cola guys, boys. Yes, the best-looking cars out there because it's not a white livery. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so Brody cracks in and gets the first pole of the year. Everyone's stoked. Then we get into the race. And as we're taking off, the cars are zooming around. We're thinking it's going to be a turn one pile-up. Nope, everyone gets through. Turn two pile-up. Nope. Everybody gets through. We're thinking this might be this might be all right. These cars might be able to race each other. It's the first time we've seen them all just tearing off together, side by side, front to no- nose to tail. See how we all go. The cream starts to rise to the crop to the top. <laughs> well, it did, didn't it? So it wasn't wasn't too long before the uh, the usual names were seen up the front again. So. That was uh, well. You, you, what you touched on earlier, actually, I thought was interesting. Where you, you had the the blocks of Camaros and the the blocks of uh, of Mustangs a little bit further down the track as well. Where, you know, by the by the two, uh, you know, Chas Mostert and Cam Waters, who are just obviously, you know, a bit ahead of the field in terms of their their driving prowess. The the other Mustangs were just down the middle. So I'm putting it down to after the. Testing's been done. The last little parody tweak that we had pushed through late in the week uh, for the Camaro to put more downforce on their car to slow them up a bit and with drag. The blocks of the, the top two Mustangs, I'm putting that down to the driver, not the car, being mm. able to drive the Mustang uh, more aggressively and get more out of it than the, the next block. Because there are five Mustangs in a block after the I think the top six or seven positions were Camaros with those two outlier Mustangs in them, one of which was a white car. And then (laughs) the next day, well, no, well, that afternoon, of course, during the race, we're all sitting there watching Triple Eight do their pit stops and they flung the driver's door open, started shoving dry ice into the, what looked, it appeared to be the footwell of the, Mm. The the driver's side, and we're all thinking this is all odd. What are they doing? Just chucking dry ice in the footwell. I go, well, you can't just chuck dry ice in the footwell and try and cool it down. It's not allowed to have unsecured items flying around in your cabin. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what's going on there. So we all found out afterwards, as soon as the racing had finished, and Shane and Brock Feeney had taken their first and second place. Shane, by 15 seconds down the field, by the way, just walks away from 
everybody again drives away from everybody mind you on that shane shane might have been absolutely ripper quick in the race and you probably missed this because you're at the track but he was about two minutes late to the podium oh no i saw that yeah yeah so whatever whatever he's doing at the back of the podium he's just like oh hang on i've got to i've got to go gotta get on the podium but yeah so they've got this dry ice kit for the footwell cooling system and we will talk about that right now because everybody has lost their mind. Mm. There's so much that social was... media commentary on this at the moment where it would do people, they would do themselves a justice if they educate themselves about the system first before just flying off the handle and and arguing a point that is incorrect. Like you, you got to start from a point mm. of information, like infor- be informed. And then you can make your opinion and then you can argue a valid point. Yeah. People are saying that they were cheating because they had a second cooling system. Incorrect. There's no problem with it whatsoever. You can do that. Every yeah. time people were saying they were gaining a performance advantage because of having a cooling, a second cooling system. Incorrect. It doesn't affect the way the car behaves in the slightest. It increases the driver comfort which increases the driver's ability to drive the car. Yep. Call, call that a performance gain if you want, but if they have cool suits for the same reason, so the drivers are able to compete in these high-temperature cabins between 50 and 60 degrees in the cabin. Because Saturday was 32, 33 degrees. It was stinking hot. Yeah. Crack. Mega hot. So the only issue that's in the contention here is not the existence of the secondary ice box for the footwell cooling system, just where they bolted it in. They put it in between the seat and the uh, side intrusion bars of the roll cage. That's the crumple zone. They've pushed this driver's seat further into the cabin for driver's protection from side impact. Yeah. Triple Lake came up with a workflow solution to having the second box because they run, and this is where other people are misinformed or didn't understand or they just don't know. Uh, they already had, they're already running the electric uh revolution race gear cooling system the heat exchanger the electric heat exchanger i think it's called uh was it cool shot or something like that um so they run that for their suits too for, suit. for, suit? for, yeah. for the suit and the helmet fan so that runs through through that uh that system this was a system that was in place to cool the footwell and the brake pedals and the and the well, the pedal box that's what this system was in place for. Nothing to do with the cool suit. So no big deal with that. That's all fine. They just had to, by the rules, have it bolted down on the left-hand side of the car. That needs to be in the passenger's well, yeah, where the passenger's seat should go rather than next to the driver's seat. As you touched on, it's a safety issue. So if they've got something there in the driver's side of the car and they have a side on impact, there's not that crumple zone is gone because that's in there and it could potentially impact and, and hurt the driver. That was why it's not allowed to be there. So well it's called uh, sorry it's called it's called the chill out the chill out system. That's that's yeah. the system that they currently have. That takes up majority of that side of the car. They just they have to bolt this other which they did on Sunday. They just made it work. They just engineered it, put some ducting to the other side and bolted it in, plugged it in and it's you know all good. No problem for Sunday. The problem is for them that they claim they had a verbal permission from head of motorsport Burgess to put it in. And they did not follow up with an email and get it in writing. 
And when you are making a modification to the rules for the workflow improvement, which means like when you've got your refueler standing there, you, what your wheel guys are doing wheels, your refueler and your air spike guy are standing either side of the passenger door. You've got another guy that now has to open that passenger door. The fuel guy is in the way. He has to move a little bit. Then you can get in and do your ice top up. Um. And shut the door. They said, "Well, why would we put it on there? There's, there's five guys working on the one side of the car. Yeah, let's chuck it on the driver's side because then we can get access to it. Makes sense. It's workflow. If they have to modify the rule, they do, but they have to come with a better yeah. placement. They can't just shove it on the right hand side of the driver's seat. And unfortunately, uh, at the moment, the the rules are the rules. So the the penalty, I'm assuming, will stand because. They may change the rules and, and maybe they should, but at the moment the rule is the rule and they broke the rule and I think the you know, penalty may have been a little bit harsh as disqualification, but that's normally, you know, what you do. Could the penalty have been something else, maybe? But at the end of the day, they you know, they've broken a pretty major rule in terms of safety for the cars and that generally results in disqualification for any yes. car that's that's broken that rule. So Yep. So they're appealing that. Yeah. Appeal is to be heard at the moment. Currently, we were waiting for the result of that appeal. But the protest was actually lodged by WAU and Tickford. Yep. And because their drivers were at that point sitting third and fourth, Brody was sitting fifth and Will Brand was sitting sixth after that race one. So we we're all pretty happy with that, thinking it's five and six. That's a pretty good finish for Brody and Will. Not too shabby. Yeah. Now you, you knock these two on the head. <laughs> disqualify Red Bull. Now everybody has to hand their trophies back and shuffle them up and down pit lane. I want to know who was the guy that had to go and get the trophies. Did the team go and send <laughs> their guy down? And like Cam Waters has sent one of his engineers down to Red Bull and gone, hey, can I have that? And I'll take Shit. that. Thank you very much. And Chaz has sent one of Shit. did Supercars send one of their officials down. Should have sent Bado down there. Well, that's that's what I don't know. I don't know who's I don't know who's taken the band to collect them. So that's just one of those arguments that they obviously did not want to film because they did not want to agitate it further. But uh, so yeah. that was that was that. So that's race one, sort of all done. That's where you think it's all ended, right? It's all fine. So we move on to uh, race two on the Sunday. And race two, well, we had Dave Davey getting himself on the pole position, which was uh was interesting. So that was uh, that was a good fight back from him and putting his uh putting his stang on the uh, pole position. I think there was a, an all Mustang front row for a race two because Cam Waters was second as well. So yes, that was uh you know and Dave Davey was pretty wrapped with that to to get himself pole position. I think he he looked pretty chuffed when he got out of the car. That's for sure. So well, he wasn't so chuffed with the car leading into race two, was he? No, no. Well, uh, he hasn't been so chuffed with the cars overall. I think so. Not, not, not that you'd know because he's not allowed to talk about it. But that's uh... where I'm going. With it. That's where I'm going. I'm leading you. I'm leading you over to that. So, Davy Reynolds was a gag basically from bagging out the performance of the Mustang compared to the Camaros. He's, he'd already made his opinions public and was quietly and swiftly told, I think, by Mister. Mark Scaife to not say that anymore. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I, I believe as well, because there's been a lot of conjecture about why allegedly. Shane refused to talk. To, allegedly, yes. And there's been a lot of uh, conjecture about why Shane refused to talk to the media on Sunday. They thought it was because everyone thought it had something to do with the penalty that they were given and they were unhappy with that. It was completely, that's completely wrong. It was, he was also not happy about effectively being told he'd made a few criticisms over the new cars as well and was also given a little uh, slap on the wrist from a certain someone to say, don't do that. And, and that's why, yeah. yeah. And so he went, well, you know, if, if I can't say what I want to say, if I can't be honest, then I'm just not going to talk. And to be honest, I, my opinion is that's fair enough. So, you know, well, if you're not going to let me say what I want to say, get stuffed. Well, again, social media loses its mind. Everybody's going off about Van Gisbergen has a duty to answer questions. Well, his, his duty after a race when you're on the podium is to attend the post-race okay. interview. He's under no obligation to answer absolutely every question that's asked of him. No driver is. They can choose to dead bat it. They can lie. They can tell the truth. They can do whatever they want. They just have to be made available. So there's yep, your 100%. duty, your duty to appear, <clears throat> to give the journos the opportunity to ask their questions and fill out all their reports and do their journo things of which we are not journos so everybody again losing their mind all about that don't understand exactly what the rules are or the requirements are does it does it look bad yeah did anybody understand why he was there was he just sooking because everyone was saying he's a lot of people sorry were saying that he was just sour grapes and sooking because of the penalty but nobody knew that it was because he was being gagged and he said, well, yeah. fine, you want to gag me? I'll gag me. This is me and gagged. You, you, because you were there, you missed the telecast. Not the telecast. At the end of the telecast, Mark Scaife absolutely tore him a new one and said that, you know, that was where all the duty, I was a duty of care. Mark, Mark Scaife absolutely ripped him a new one and, uh, and, and said that. And that was because they didn't show the, the end of the meeting where he explained why the the press briefing where he actually explained why he wasn't talking and the reasons behind it. And, and you know, I, I thought, but that was that was. I'm not the biggest fan of Mark Scaife. I'll be honest with you right now. I've never really liked him. But that was just like, over, especially when we're we're pretty sure that allegedly this is where the gagging's coming from. Like to tell someone they can't say something, and then when they don't say something, you tear them a new one. Get stuffed. Yeah, you know, get yeah. stuffed. That's, that's trying to have your cake and eat it too. Yeah. yeah. If the criticism of the cars is warranted then the comments should be allowed to be made by the people who are invested in it because this is where they make their livelihood. This is their workplace. This is their tool of trade. And yep. if they haven't got it quite right yet, it's okay. They'll fix it. They'll put more tweaks in and it'll be fixed and we'll have cars that are more competitive. But the proof's in the racing. Hmm. If we're not seeing door-to-door overtakes and lots of passing manoeuvres, I get Newcastle's a little bit... Uh, um, and it wasn't though, like... Well, it's it's not an easy track to pass on, but at the same time, we've seen past in there in the, in the previous years, and you know that's not it. But I was I was I was talking to mate on messenger during the during race one, and we were like, we were both saying we're bored, like you know what's what's going on. We expected so much from these cars, and there's just nothing. And race two, let's be honest, race two was a little bit better, but it wasn't much better, you know. So it's not delivered at the moment. I'm not going to completely judge it, but at, from what we've seen so far. It hasn't delivered the level of excitement that Supercars has been hyping for the last twelve months. So correct, they are overhyping it big time. Yeah, and which is which they have to. I mean, I would have done the same. 
because it's new cars. It's going to be ace. It's going to be this. It's going to be brilliant. Oh, um, there's, there's no problem hyping it. But then if you don't get it right, own up to it. Say so. Yeah. Be honest, you know. Don't don't try and hide the fact that you haven't absolutely nailed it first go. Like, you know, it's not – it's it's – it's not so. It's it's a it's evolving. It'll it'll be something that'll hopefully come along and 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 move along. So you know, that's it. But at the moment, a little bit dull from what we're expecting. Yeah. Was it exciting racing? No, it wasn't. No. Um, yeah. So social media loses its mind. Everybody has a crack about everything. They don't know exactly all the info. As it comes out later on, everything calms down. We move on. Supercars is known for drama, and usually it's on the track. But this time, it's mostly been off the track with the with the drama. But uh, yeah. speaking of dramas, uh, James Courtney, we all had a sweep. My mates and I had a sweep to see who was going to be the first guy to bin it. And uh, James Courtney wasn't actually high on the on the expectation of actually being the first guy to crash his car. No. Well, as I said in my uh, in first episode, I actually predicted that there, you know, some of the older boys, Courtney, Frosty and that were going to go pretty good. So I've, I've eaten my words there because James was the first one to uh, put it substantially into a wall. So <laughs> yeah, I'll eat that humble pie. <laughs> yeah. And all on his own too, on the shootout. Now, admittedly, in his defence, and I will give him this, just in the race prior to that, before the shootout, there was a God Almighty prank with nine Aussie cars all piling into each other. Oh, no, that was the Super 2s. The Super 2s were on the same corner and they were, nah, it was the Aussie cars. It was the Aussie cars. They were dropping fluid all over the joint on that exact corner. Did exactly what he did. He clipped the inside wall straight on into the, couldn't pull up or turn, straight into the opposite side, uh, trying to avoid where the cleanup had been. And... JC couldn't manage to make the starting grid because the new front clip that they need to bolt on, bolt off, only bolts on if the bolting points haven't also been bent or moved. Yeah, so that was that was interesting when Tickford, I think it was only just earlier today that Tickford came out and said, yeah, the, the reason they couldn't get the car back up was because they're, you know, we've got these new bolt-on, bolt-off front ends and they, they were unable to unable to clip the the new front end on because it just wasn't lining up with anything. So that's, you know, that's going to be a, an issue that supercars needs to, to look at. And they will, you know, that that's why they, they were, they needed, unfortunately, an accident to happen for them to see if this was going to be viable. They have, it hasn't really worked out the way they'd hoped. So that's something they're going to have to investigate because that's, uh you know, that was one of the, the major things about this car was it was meant to be easy to fix. And apparently it's not. Apparently. And that wasn't necessarily like a massive hit. It was a straight on into a tire wall. It wasn't on a corner side impact. It wasn't like a front left corner into a wall or something. That's going to put yeah. those forces all the way back through the front clip into the mounting point near the firewall. If it's not strong enough for all of that impact, you'd be better off going back to the old chassis rail all the way through and then just mm. welding anchor points and mounting points onto chassis rails. Yeah, well, they're definitely going to look into that. So it's uh, there. I think the car is going to be given. Yeah, so they give the car and the bits to to supercars to have a look at for a little bit, and hopefully they can find out why that's happened. And and fingers crossed, come up with a fix because that was that was one of their big uh, big points with this new car, and it's not working. Uh, well, you only had a, a chance to see one only so far. But the other big stack was those nine little Aussie cars that piled into each other, and that was that was actually quite brutal. The the pink car, pink middies car, he had two impacts. He went in second, I think, and then somebody came around the corner 
and T-boned him absolutely right into, right into the side. And then that car got air as it smashed into the, everything else. And then it was the stacks on the mill after that. And I spoke with some medical personnel and everybody got cleared. A couple of guys are limping. They're not bouncing back. They're a bit ginger. They've got pretty sore legs. Uh, one driver was taken to hospital because during the impact they lost consciousness but then came back came came to but because they'd already been knocked out that off the hospital you go to get thoroughly checked out yep 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 straight away so or the cars are totaled half those cars are totaled the other half will be quite easy repairable um but the drivers are the drivers are in good order for for where they could be, which is good. It's what we want to see. We don't want to see drivers getting hurt. Yeah, exactly. What about that shell? What about the shell Aussie car? The all the whole front end of his car completely gone. Yeah, it looks pretty. Looks pretty good. It's a pretty much replica of the uh, the, the DJR cars, and uh, he, he got himself in a bit of a absolutely tore him off on Saturday. So that was right at the end of the race as well, wasn't it? So. That was like yeah. pretty much the the last lap of that race. I think it was race one or race two of the Aussie race cars, and just like yeah. So the Aussie right. cars they're, they're pretty good for a race. They're, they're more more racing involved. There's there was forty of them, forty of them zooming around. They went forever. It's like breeding like mice out the back. There were dozens of front clips all lined up next to each other in the pits, and they were a real fan favourite. To be honest, everybody was right into them. So the Aussie cars, definitely a fan favourite. Uh, yes, they provided the most entertaining action on track, door-by-door racing, overtakes, undertakes. They got loose. They are loose by nature, going in two, three wide into corners. In the street circuit with concrete walls around them, that big pile-up caused a big delay. Uh, luckily, everybody's okay. So It's yeah. good to see. Well, you know, goes goes to show. Supercars, hello. We can have a few more cars on the track, so... You know? Yeah, well, there's 28 of the Super 2, Super 3 combined. There were 28 of those cars going around yeah. on at one time. So we can certainly squeeze a few more in if any of the team owners are yep. out there to stop being so protective about your own patch and let's expand that sport and grow it. So let's let's get 30 cars back on the grid. That's what we want to see. So exactly, there's plenty of room, plenty of space. So uh, I want to talk Depends about more cars, more racing. So. Yes, yes, we do. So that's kind of the car racing. Everybody watched the race. You all know what happened. You've all seen who won what, and we've all seen the dramas and the socials and blowing up, which is <laughs> what socials do. Just to, just to make a uh, point that we talked about earlier, as uh, we've just seen an article come through while we're actually recording that just wasn't there for us a bit earlier today. Uh, James Courtney's car, with the trouble they had putting that front clip back together, with nothing lining up and the engine bolting still to the firewall, they can't work out how much damage had gone back through the chassis, which is why he couldn't actually ultimately take the race. Well, on the start of race two, Declan Fraser drops a hammer, decides to cover off Macaulay Jones, but then just speared it straight into the wall off the start line, off the grid. Didn't even make it down the grid, just basically T-boned the the concrete wall. I didn't even know if he made the start-finish line. No, he didn't. Nope. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately for for everybody involved there, that car's got another big impact on the front, just like James's car. But we won't know how much damage that's caused yet because that never got an opportunity to get repaired. 
for the race, seeing as the race was starting. But he moved the wall back about four feet. And unfortunately, there was a marshal on the other side of that too, who also got collected and got flung into the lane from the wall, the, the concrete blocks, as they got shunted. Uh, medical cleared him. He's, I think it was he? I think, it was I think so, yeah. I think it was a pretty sure. Bloke. Yeah. Um, yeah, a little bit of damage there. But, uh, yeah, he's been looked after by medical, so... That's that's good for everybody there. But Declan's car now is in the same state as Courtney's car, and you know, as we saw, as we said, it was an interesting choice that they poached him from Triple Eight in the last potty that they yeah. didn't get to Zach Best, and and I don't know if Declan. I, mean, I think he struggled a bit, obviously, with the new car and the circuit. But you know, it would have been interesting to see if Zach uh, had a go, where that comparison would have been made if he was. Uh, coming to terms with the new car maybe a bit easier than Declan was at the moment, but he's okay. The car will be fixed, ready for the next round, which will be Melbourne GP, only a few weeks. They've got a lot of work to do. Supercar's got a lot of analysing to do because if this is going to be a common regular thing, just after reading that article, um, we could be in a bit more strife than we anticipated. We're making the cars weaker, but more convenient. But they're only convenient if they're in, they might have to bolster everything up. It's not like they can just change the design of them in a couple of weeks. Yeah, if you can't fix it. There's no point yeah. having it. Well, that, uh, with Courtney's accident as well, like, it was interesting because, uh, you know, it was a decent impact, but it wasn't that bad. And there was quite a bit of damage to, like, the front of that car with the, you know, the, the impact that it was, especially in the tyre barrier. So I thought, you know, they're like, well, they're easy to fix, but, well, if they, if they do that much damage and they're not as easy to fix because the bolts aren't lining up because it is going further back, then it's a, it's a big issue. Yeah, it certainly will be. So that's the racing taken care of. Everybody saw what's happening. We know how the cars went. Um, 40 Aussie cars zooming around the track, 28 Super 2s and Super 3s cars, uh, 25 supercars, uh, a dozen TCMs. That's pretty standard for their for their category. I think it was 11. And I've got to recommend, I've got to say to Newcastle, congratulations for putting on a fantastic event. They This is the last of their five-year contract. So they're working out now whether they're going to continue the contract and continue the race for the next short period of time. They're in a fact-finding mission at the moment with the public and all the stakeholders and the government and supercars to work out what they're going to do with that. I hope they do go back to Newcastle because it was like a little baby Gold Coast. They, They had the concerts on the Friday and Saturday night Big hit, massive hit. They sold out the tickets for the racing on Saturday and nearly sold out on Sunday. The crowd attendance was actually, I think, just shy of 170,000 for the weekend, which is pretty good. That's It was chockers. It was absolutely yeah. chockers. Both days, Sunday as well. And even with a threat of weather to come in later that never eventuated, luckily, they didn't keep anybody away. Everybody still turned up on Sunday, for sure. The, the concerts were brilliant. Like the Friday night was a... The night I went, I didn't go on the Saturday. I don't particularly care for the hilltop hoods or hip hop. I love the hoods. Yeah, well, you would have loved Saturday night. Then you can tell me all about it, but no, <laughs> absolutely not. But the Screaming Jets, John Stevens and Ice House were absolutely perfect choices. The only thing that everybody was discussing at the end of the show was maybe have Ice House open and headline with the Screaming Jets. It's, uh, I love I love all those bands I see them regularly whenever I can. But having the Ice House mood as the headline compared to Dave Gleason, full yeah. noise. 
Our South just is, yeah, screaming jets are much more up-tempo. They're the ones you want to, like, end the night on. And, Absolutely. You know, just rev start, up. Yeah, start them off with Ice House, you know, a little bit more a little bit yep. more chill and relaxed and then, and then you know, get everyone rolled up before bedtime with a bit of screaming jets. Yeah, like Great <laughs> Southern Land and Hey Little Girl, fantastic songs. But, you know, it really brings the mood down when you've just had Ice uh, – John Stevens just ripping out a whole bunch of noise works and in excess songs, bouncing around the stage going full, full noise. And Dave Gleason in full animal mode, being Gleeso, because that's what he does. That's One of the good. best front men in Australian rock. Be safe to say that you know and I know better than Dave, wouldn't it? Aha, see what you did. Don't do it again. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the concert was fantastic. Saturday night was pretty chockers. When I was leaving, uh, everybody was flooding into the concert stage. The circus environment, they had like entertainers and bands around during the day as well, down in the, that turn 11 hairpin area. Uh, had some circus performers there, you know, stilts and jugglers and a bit like the Gold Coast, too, just some street entertainers. That was way cool. Uh, they can really learn a lesson of getting rid of those $18 burritos and $20 hamburgers and $9.50s for a mid-strength beer. The cost of food, as at most circuits, is pretty ridiculous. It's pretty pretty standard, though. You're paying 11 bucks for a bloody mid-strength beer at the MCG. So, you know, I think that's a, an unfortunately standard across the art of par when it comes to sports these days, isn't it, which sucks. It is, but it doesn't make it right. But no, honestly, no. you want to serve a margarita pizza and you want to charge $15 for a margarita pizza... It's like you're, t- you're seriously taking the piss. $18 for a burrito. Now, I must say, though, that Mexican band with the burritos, oh, they were good. They were solid. They were absolutely ripper. So I can't wait for hopefully they bring Newcastle back next year. It's destination well, track. Just the, the track, like looking at it on, like I wasn't there, but just looking at it on television, like those overhead, the helicopter views just right on the bay there, like right on the point of the harbour. Like it's a stunning looking racetrack. It just looks pretty from the, you know, from the visuals that you see on television. So they've absolutely nailed the location of that track and hopefully they can keep it going, as you said. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much it translates into the local economies because the bars at the end of the night, they, a lot of people were leaving, and here's another thing they got right, the public transport. Everybody was really worried about the actual getting back to the interchange for the train on the tram, but they just had bumper-to-bumper shuttle buses. So everybody, the wait to get out when they were trying to move 100,000 people or 50,000 people, however many were there, uh, was not good. It was good. Like There was no real wait. It was seamless, basically. So it was, we had no complaints with the way that they organised everything. It worked quite well. So hopefully they go back there next year. If not, it opens up one of the rounds for Winton or New Zealand because we're already two rounds short. They're only doing 12 rounds a year. We really should be doing 15 or 16. And when I spoke, oh, with, the, when I spoke with the drivers at the driver's breakfast on the Thursday morning, everybody was full of anticipation because no one had any idea exactly what was going to happen. But they, they're all of the – they want to race more. They, they are looking to supplement hmm. their racing with other categories. And yeah. uh, they understand the economics of the situation. It's not viable for supercars to pay for 20 rounds, for the teams to pay to go racing. 
because nobody's actually making money in car racing. We don't want 20 rounds, but 15, you know, come on. 15 at least. 14, 15. 15 is a good number. And then the drivers can do five other rounds in other categories just to supplement them, you know, go to a spa or a a 12-hour or a six-hour. They can do all of those other other circuits as well. And they'll give them their 20 rounds a year that they want to go racing for. Uh, something for supercars to look at. I'm sure they always do look at it. They don't do it just by just for fun, but it comes down to the teams again, having all the control, having all the power, yeah. and they're the ones paying the bills. So they're the stakeholders. Without them turning up, we don't even have a sport. So we've got that to look forward to. Hopefully next year, back to back to Newcastle. Now the F35 jet flyover. I can tell you, one of my favourite things of the circuit. Of, the, of all the tracks of the jets flying over. And this guy was low. He was proper, proper low. He was low. He was loud. He was fast. He was slow. It was, it was actually awesome. So they can have more. They should have them at every round. Just- that, that was seriously one of my highlights from Bathurst was when that, that guy went, went ripped up the side of the mountain just on the, on the I think it was the, the Sunday morning. And he just, he absolutely ripped that plane straight up the side of the mountain and just flew over the top of the mountain, right right on top of McPhillamy. And he was about 100 feet off the ground. And he went straight over my head. And I swear to God, that was just, that was probably the highlight of my weekend, I reckon. That was just stupid. That Those things are nuts. Yeah. And I can't believe we're paying for them to get paid to do that. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's just cool as. And uh, pulling into, landing into Williamtown Airport, you know, they share the airport with the Air Force there, the runway. They yeah. share the runway, not the airport. They share the runway. So as soon as I got out of the plane, uh, the, uh, my plane, the domestic plane, uh, six F-35s took off just to go and just do manoeuvres and exercises and stuff. So it's like having your own little air show if you're living anywhere in the in and around Newcastle on a regular basis. Um just just having those jets in the air all the time would just be a buzz. Absolutely oh, yeah. awesome. So that's basically it for the round wrap. Um our next one will be coming up after Melbourne GP. So there'll be a lot more to talk about there. And I'm sure the repairability on these cars is going to be front and centre. Because uh, if they were nervous about hitting a wall, not worrying about having spares, if the, the argument swings to it doesn't matter how many spares you have, we can't put them back on. Mm. We're in a we're in a bit of a problem. Hundred percent. It's it's quite a serious one. It, it can't be can't be laughed at. It's a real, mm. real problem. If these things are more are so much more fragile, we're going to need an engineering solution and quickly. And it's a worry. Now you imagine one of those cars in in practice at Bathurst hitting the hitting the wall. There's no tires at Bathurst for the most part. If you hit a wall up there, you're that's concrete most of the time. So you know if you you do that on practice or you know early quality at Bathurst, you're out of the race for the weekend because you you're not going to be able to fix the car. So yeah, where it know. was repairable, now it might not be repairable. Like, yeah, you know, these just cut off the front. If you had to, even just cut the chassis rail off the front, weld a new section of chassis rail on, and then yeah. bolt everything back into it. Remanufacture the car overnight. Teams done that plenty of times. Yep. But if that's not an option on this particular design, yeah, there's, there's some. I'm pretty sure there's some going to be some worried heads looking at Courtney's front clip and Declan's probably at the same time. Yeah. Comparing, comparing those two because there's no other way to sort out how to fix them is but to crash them. Pretty much. So that's going to be, I don't know, that'll be a big one. We'll see how that goes after uh, after Melbourne. But 
excited for Melbourne. Hopefully, I might actually even be able to get there for a day or so as well. So that'll be Excellent. nice. Nah, good to see you down there, mate. Come down, we'll catch up, watch some cars, have some beers. Now, as, as we promised you all last podcast, we've literally just got off the interwebs on the magic Zoom machine with Peter Adderton. We've had an interview with him, had a chat. He's he's not shy. You know that. Love him or hate him, you can't ignore him. Uh, he makes some very strong and valid points with some very robust argument behind it. He's not just taking, in my opinion, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And so the interview goes for about an hour. Uh, it's not just talking about cars, but there's a lot more about the man himself that you might not know. So I invite you to stick around and listen to the chat with Rowan and I, and you'll learn more about the person behind the sensational Facebook posts or the Instagram posts and the clickbait journalism. There's, 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 a, there's a lot more to Pete than just a loud mouth on social media, that's for sure. So That is how to balance your work and family life and the importance of finding, finding balance in there as well. Because if your life's out of balance, then nothing works for you. Your family doesn't get the best of you. You don't get the best out of yourself and your work doesn't get the best out of you. And we will see you all in a few weeks, three weeks. I think it's three weeks. Once again, this podcast has been brought to you by Game Life for all of your gaming accessories and needs and streaming and pottying. We've got a lot more interviews coming up for you this year. Like I said, with the volunteers, I made some amazing contacts up in Newcastle for, with the volunteer brigade up there and th- got some numbers. So we're going to have some conversations with them about their role on race day and their history of how long and their favourites and their worst bits and the behind the scenes gritty bits that you don't see and what it is to be a volunteer. And once again, thank you. Huge thank you to Game Life gamelife.com.au for all of your gaming and podcasting needs, all your accessories, consoles, chairs, VRs, anything that's anything associated with your gaming or your podcast, paraphernalia and equipment, get a hold of Jason at gamelife.com.au. So here it is, chat with Peter. So we'll see you after Melbourne GP in a few weeks for episode three. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Have a good night. See you, bro. Let's introduce the man of the moment who really needs no real introduction, Mr. Peter Adderton. Thank you very much for uh, coming along and having a chat. Yeah, Dave, thank you very much for uh, for having it. Been a while, I think, uh, been since maybe Gold Coast or Bathurst that we saw each other. It so, was. Uh, it was. Yes. It was Gold Coast, I think. It was indeed, yes, that uh, event we had up there. One of the uh, best rounds that I've ever actually been to. You, you certainly know how to put one on. No, we were, we were pretty proud about that one. I mean, uh, I, I don't know when you guys called me to do this podcast. You know, one of the things I think I've been a big supporter of is is the fans and more importantly, the grassroots fans, because ultimately without, you know, you guys and without the fan base, we really have nothing as a brand and as, and, and as a sport. So, in fact, you guys um, think this is your first uh a podcast um the fact that i could come on and talk to you guys and then hopefully you know the fans see that this is a real podcast with uh with no agenda you guys just love the sport you're you're massive fans of it and i would be more than happy to do this as many times as you would like me to come on and have a chat fantastic yep good, good to get some recognition for the fans great. as well I mean, we love a chat <laughs> yep yep good i'm here let's get into the chat then we'll start off with a little bit about some, some simple stuff first so Hey, where did you actually start? Where did you grow up in, like, high school and primary school and all that? Yeah, well, good question. So I actually grew up in the western suburbs of Sydney. Uh, my dad was a motor mechanic. 
I started out in uh, Borkham Hills High School, actually, as sorry, Borkham Hills Primary School, and then uh, moved to a school in uh, in Strathfield, where I think I fell out in year nine. Um, I remember coming to my teacher, and um, I'd gone into nine. I was going into year ten, and and uh, at the end of year ten, my teacher pretty much told me that I was probably better with a trade career than I was to go on to year eleven and year twelve. The irony is that I came home, and my dad and mum looked at me. Um, and said, you know, you, you failed. I think I had back then we, we were allowed to have Fs. I think I don't think you're allowed to do that anymore because it's um, it's upsetting to the children that they failed. But I had basically failed. And I said to my dad, I'm going to put this uh, report card in the freezer, dad. And he goes, why? And I said, because you're going to bring it out when I make my first million. And, uh, you know, my dad's a, a motor mechanic and my mum was working, you know, five days a week. And she said, you're crazy, son get back out to work you have to go to work so ultimately um i brought that out of the freezer about five years later so um you know i really started out in the western suburbs and from a very hard-working family and a very hard-working dad who taught me the the principles of uh of doing hard work and 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 being passionate about what you do did you start out originally as as uh, wanting to do telco or what was it what was your first business venture you got into no, the funny thing is when I left school, I had uh, I had no career, right? So I basically was thrown on the streets by the school. You know, nowadays, they they spend a little bit more time trying to get you through into year 11. But in my grade, it was like, well, you're out. So my dad said, you're going to come and work for me. So I went and, uh, and my dad was a truck mechanic. So I went and started working for him. And in the first day, it was kind of like the middle of winter. And uh, he was changing truck tires. And for those who've ever tried to change a truck tire to break that bead, I, I did it for literally... 20 minutes, I almost killed myself, snapped every one of my bones as I snapped it down because I was a thin little kid. I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I'm going to die if I keep doing this. And uh, I said, i got to go do something else. So um, I think he he saw that I probably wasn't right for that that line of work. So, um, you know, then I went into uh, aircraft engineering. I wanted to be a helicopter pilot badly. Um, so I, I went up to a heliflight, for those who knew at the time, out of Castle Hill. I went up to the guy that owned it and said, listen, um, I want to be a helicopter pilot. And he said, you, you didn't really get through year 10, Peter. I said, yeah, but I'm a hard worker. So I went in, got aircraft engineering, and then uh, became a helicopter pilot. And uh, so, you know, I think whenever I set my mind to something, and I think that was evidence of I wanted to be a pilot, I wanted to be an aircraft engineer. When I set my mind to something and I love it and I'm passionate about it, then I have the ability to achieve things. And I think that's in most people. Um, once you find that passion that you absolutely love. And so for me, that was really the the drive and then then it went into marketing you know and and, and the step between you know helicopter flying and engineering i you know i remember talking to um a, a guy who was quite famous at the time dr jeffrey edelston he had a pink helicopter and we used to fly uh, leanne his uh, his wife around uh, in the, in the uh, in the helicopter and i remember him saying you know you've got a, an ability to sell anything peter and you've got a great market you should go into that so i said yeah but what well, how do you do that and he goes oh you got to go door to door I said, what do you mean, yeah. Dory? He said, go try to sell an encyclopedia. If you can sell an encyclopedia back in the time, obviously you don't need those now. But so I did that. So I, I did some pretty hardcore going door to door, just really doing it the hard way. And then, um, you know, went into marketing, started my own agency. And and basically that then led me to working with um, with Optus at the time and uh, doing their marketing and, and saw the advent of the mobile phone and saw that young kids would be interested in it and, and that they weren't talking to them and decided to create the Boost brand. And so, you know, 20 years later, 9 million customers, a few, three or 4 billion in revenue, uh, I sit in front of you guys. Beautiful. That's cool. Very nice. Do you still fly choppers? 
Yeah, I, so I actually uh, have a, uh, had a helicopter over here for the last probably eight years, got about three or 4,000 hours. So I would commute every day from my house in Orange County to uh, my office in Los Angeles. So for those who've ever been to LA and seen the 405, it could be a two and a half hour trip uh, in the helicopter. It's uh, 17 minutes um, every day, all the day. And, you, and you're, you're flying it yourself or have you got a... No, you know, I, fly, I fly it myself. Yeah, I've got three yeah, or 4,000 hours. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm a... Um, I love helicopters. I you know, cars, helicopters, boats, planes. Yeah, no point paying it. someone else to do it when you love doing it yourself, I guess. Yeah, the only reason why I had, I used to fly with a co-pilot because the uh, company I was running, the insurance company, ensured that I had a second pilot next to me. But <laughs> you know, I never really took the second pilot with me that much anyway. I need one for the Monash, the Monash freeway down here on the way to work. It's oh, I got to tell you, once you fly a helicopter and you look down on a Friday afternoon, you just see all those red trail lights on the 405 for like <laughs> 25, 30 miles. You just feel good. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's got yeah. a 10-lane freeway over there, and it's gridlocked. Mate, it doesn't matter, mate. They could have 20 lanes, and they still fill them up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on. So Boost is now taking off, and I think you've just kicked off Mobile X, which is a, yep. a revolution, which I'll get you to explain because it's a fascinating concept, just so smart. But uh, is that coming to Australia, the Mobile X model? Yeah, we, we hope so. I mean, it's a very disruptive platform. Um, so to give you a bit of an example, you know, when I ask people how much data they use on a monthly basis, most people don't even know. Right? They have no clue. And they, they don't know when they're in Wi-Fi and when they're out of Wi-Fi. So carriers basically sell you a lot of data. Over here in the US, it's basically around unlimited plans. I call them fake because they're not real. They do have caps on them. So you're basically buying 30 or 40 or 50 gigabytes, and the average person is only using 11. And so what we wanted to do was use AI, the artificial intelligence and machine learning to answer that adult question of like, how much data do I need? So basically you download the app for the first 10 days. It's free. You just go do whatever you're going to do. And at the end of the 10 days, with a level of accuracy, you know, north of 90%, we come back and tell you exactly what you need on data. So you're only paying for what you need. And so we, we have the ability to significantly reduce the amount of money that you're spending on your mobile data bill. And also giving you the option to be able to save, right? So right now you don't know how to save because you basically just buy these monthly plans. And so it's it's something that's revolutionary. Um, it's very, very different. And we think it's going to be something that the market's going to like. Yeah, sounds great. Awesome. I hope it does come here because I think I think I get about 180 gig a month with Telstra and I, I use nowhere near that amount. I probably, probably use about 40 to 50 gig at most because I watch a lot of videos. But yeah, that's, uh, you know. Well, the question is well that watching video... Are you watching video at home or are you watching it out on the street? Well, I, I normally do our, our internets with that with Vodafone though, so it's pretty terrible. So I just use I just use the Telstra Wi-Fi because it's better quality. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's you know that's the thing. Wi-Fi obviously doesn't affect your mobile bill, so I'd argue your mobile bill is probably quite significantly lower than that. But yeah, look, we're trying something new and different. You know, I always try to be disruptive, whether it's supercars or whether it's telco. I want to do some things that are different and, and kind of cha- challenge the status quo. Love it. We touched on that, and that's uh, fantastic. But everybody, I'm sure, is pretty keen to talk about. We've just got our round one kicked off at Newcastle, so we've got our new generation cars, of which you have one, but it's not on the track. So no, I think it's um, doesn't even have wheels on it. I think um, maybe maybe it was at the track in the spare parts of Triple uh, Eight. Maybe it was like lurking in the background there. But no, we <laughs> we don't have the, we don't have the car yet. We uh, well, we're hoping to get it. We were hoping to get a car and be able to race all year. 
it does frustrate me that obviously the Triple Eight cars did quite strong on the weekend, and even Jimmy and um, and Slade did very very well in their Triple Eight cars. And I think, given Richie in a Triple Eight car this weekend, we actually would have been quite competitive because I rate him a very very uh, you know very high driver. So I think we would have been very competitive in that car. And so it's a bit of a shame. Well, we weren't allowed to, to come along, and I can understand why the teams didn't want us there now because they obviously want to keep the competition to a controlled format, and we're not obviously part of that uh, part of that uh, that brotherhood. So, are you able to delve into a little bit more detail as to why? Because we, we all know you, you weren't allowed, but are you able to give us any more detail as to why you you, you weren't allowed into into the sport this year? Do you, do you know, and can you tell us? Yeah, I'm, I can. I mean, the charter was written by the teams. And I think the new owners of supercars were asleep at the wheel uh, when they bought the series without actually checking. And so the teams hold all control over who actually gets to race and who doesn't get to race. And so their attitude is, you're rich, make us rich by overpaying for a team. So I'm not interested in donating money to someone who's not performing. And then the second one was, well, the charter has to go to the team first. And if the team doesn't want it, then you can have it. It's completely flawed. I got to tell you, if we bought the series, which we were looking to buy it, I, that would have been the first thing I would have torn up to say, you don't tell us how many cars could be on the grid. You don't tell us who can race. Because, you know, what What we've seen at Newcastle was what we've seen for the last three years. There was no revelation coming out of, well, you know, maybe Jack Smith will get in the top 10 or, or maybe, you know, I'm just sitting back going, it's the same, right? It's the same old, same old. Um, and the only difference was that Triple Eight went backwards because, you know, They've obviously had a change in ownership and they're going through a, 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 a different time. The only difference was the Golding and those guys in the AAA cars came up closer to the front. So the rest was pretty much identical. And and I don't buy into this. These cars, they're moving all over the place and they're wild to watch. They looked exactly the same to me. When they came into the corners, they looked the same. They came out mm. of the corners the same. So I, I didn't really get the whole, oh, these things are so hard to you know, drive and they're all over the shop and, I mean, they, they pumped it up pretty hard, but from a spectator's point of view, I don't know about you guys watching the cars race, they look the same. <laughs> Coming uh, race, race one was absolutely dull. It was it was so boring. I was I was so hyped and, and was really excited for these new cars to come out. Same as you, you know, they're going to slide everywhere. They're going to be really hard to control. And, and you know, there's going to be so much passing. And and race one, there was nothing like they were, you know, couldn't get past each other. Shane Van Gisbergen even said they're actually harder than the other cars to, to follow behind. And and it was just the, the first race was such a letdown. I thought, geez, I hope that's not an indication of the uh, the rest of the season because it's, it's, it's not as entertaining as they, they'd hyped it up to be. That's for sure. Yeah, look, I think, you know, you've got the same people building the cars that built the last ones that are building these ones, and we're expecting them to be radically different. Normally what happens is when you're building something, you you know, you've got a team of experts that have been building a car and running a car for a certain period of time. That will naturally, even subconsciously, will actually be built into the next car that you build, right? And so when you look at, as an example, you know, Apple, when they create a product, the DNA of that product continues to live through the new products that they have. So I think that, you know, we've, we've got that. And, you know, there's some things that are different about the car, um, obviously the, the, the look of it. But I think ultimately from a spectator looking at the, uh, the car racing around the track on the, um, on the weekend, especially from television where I was watching, it wasn't swirling around and moving around. And it wasn't that it was so super easy to pass and hang on to somebody at the back of it. I remember saying to, to Shane Howard early on, um, I think it was even back in December of last year, I said, Shane, can I, I give you one little bit of advice? He said, what's that? And I said, 
tell everybody that this is an evolution, that the first car you see on the track is our first Gen 3 car, but this car is going to evolve, right? And it might evolve in race by race, right? And I said, don't overhype the first race, right? Don't overhype. And, and I, you know, the way Mark Scaife and those guys carried on by how close it was, got to the point where it was so over the top that they lost all credibility, in my opinion, like all credibility. And then having team owners up and down pit lane on the, really on the Saturday talking about what a great job all the teams did. We all got in there. It's a tetra. And then the next day they're basically protesting one of the other teams to get them disqualified. So it's just, they talk out of both sides of their mouths. Yeah, we did a great job. We all worked together. It's collective. Never seen anything like this in supercar world. We were all working together. And by the way, they cheated and we want them disqualified. And then, you know, triple H's back going, well, everyone's cheating. So why are we getting penalized? And then the thing just falls into a complete and utter cluster. So, you know, I, I just think they, these guys have just handled it poorly. You know, so let, let's hope that, you know, going forward, they learn out of the weekend to stop overhyping the cars, let everybody know that they're going to evolve and we're going to get some things right, we're going to get some things wrong, and um, at the end of the day, judge us, you know, come Bathurst. But they didn't say that. They wanted everyone to judge them come Newcastle, and I think the judgment was that didn't really work as well as they thought. I can tell you at the track, so I went up there for the weekend, I was sitting there down um, near the hairpin at Turn 11. All the fans there that were watching, and everyone was hyped. They really were pumped. And the the look of the car's got a big tick. The sound of the car's got a big tick. The speed of the car's a fine, big tick. But then at the end of race one and, and race two, apart from the very ending, everyone was going, yeah, processional racing. Like, it wasn't really exciting. Newcastle's hard to overtake. We get it. We know there's only a couple of spots there. And they were all very nervous and nobody wanted to end up like JC, unfortunately, who in shootout bangs straight in and noses in. And everyone's wondering, do they have any, any spares? Can they get the car back out? Which they were unable to lack of time. But everyone was pretty cautious, I think. So there wasn't really that door-to-door. Uh, yeah, but, you know, Dave, just on that point, do the fans really give a shit? I mean, they're there. They've paid their hard-earned money to watch guys go race. If they haven't got their act together, then one, don't turn up and don't race and don't take our money or give us a discount if all we're going to get is a procession because we don't want to damage our cars. As a fan who's paid hard-earned money, you want to see those guys go for each other. And and even on the fact that everybody says Newcastle's hard to pass, right? I, okay, fine. It wasn't like they were like this. It wasn't like you had 20 cars, nah. right? So, so this concept of, well, it's just a hard part. Okay, but that's okay. But not everybody was freight training each other. Mm-hmm. You know, you had two or three cars that kind of stuck together and then the rest just separated out. Yeah. So I just don't buy the concept of, well, we don't have parts, um, but we're here anyway and pat us on the back just for turning up. I'm like, it'd be like basically the Rolling Stones turning up and saying, hey, Mick Jagger can only do three songs because he's got a sore voice, right? You know, and he doesn't want to hurt his voice, so he's not going to do four songs. I'm like... It's not what I paid for. So my attitude is supercar fans were robbed on the weekend and they should um, have the ability to go door to door, bang to bang, and they shouldn't be telling drivers, don't crash your car because if you bring it back, you won't be racing tomorrow. Then no one's going to really race hard. Um, It becomes really a a stunt show. Well, Based on, you know, 
it's also telling the drivers, like what were your thoughts? I've heard Dave, Dave and obviously Shane's press conference at the end where he refused to answer questions and Dave was told he was pretty much gagged. Like, I'm, you know, there's some, someone high up in supercars is telling these people they can't criticise these new cars. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, let's not beat around a bush. It's Mark Scaife. So Mark yeah. Scaife's telling him. I, and, I, didn't, and, I, didn't, I didn't want to say it, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm happy to say it. I'm happy to say it. I mean, the, you know, the issue you have is whenever you have a conflict of interests, right, and you have the ability to be able to use the commentary position to be able to push those agendas, you lose a lot of your um, kind of like independence. And, you know, if you look at some of the other series, you know, Supercars employs those guys, those commentators, and then basically farms them out to Fox and, and Seven. It really should be, they really should be TV media working for Fox down and working for Seven and be able to say whatever they like without any consequences coming back from, from Supercars. I think the way that they shut the drivers down from saying anything negative about the car is actually just creating a bigger and bigger problem for them. And in fact, if I was running supercars, I'd be the first one to be, hey, we didn't get this right. These cars need to be better. This is not what you guys signed on for. We've got, Give us a chance to get these cars better. Instead of hyping them up like everybody did on the whole weekend, I mean, it just got so... I almost felt like throwing up the amount of times that it said how close everything is and look at parity and all this kind of stuff. And then Shane wins the first race by, you know, half a lap. And in the second race, Shane laps, you know, half the field and then wins the race. Had it have been the full length race, probably would have won that race by 20 seconds. Yeah, about uh, that. You yeah. on target to do the same as the first 15 seconds. Yeah, and, first and, and so I'm sitting there going, okay. Hey, you know, I know in business when we have a problem, right? If we have an issue, I'm the first to say we have an issue. We need to get that fixed. But these guys are like somehow think that you guys, the fans are so dumb that they'll buy all the rhetoric that you, you'll just literally sit there and whatever they say, you're all going to believe. It's, it's just disingenuous by the by the guys who run, you know, supercars and, and more importantly, the teams. You guys see what's going on. The fans see what's going on. You're sitting on the corner of the track and you're hearing it come back firsthand. It doesn't matter if I kept telling you that it was the best thing since sliced bread. If you're looking at it going, no, no, it's not. It's, it's been an issue for years with supercars now. Like there's, you know, we, we've got social media. They can see everything the fans are saying. And you're constantly seeing criticism of them online. And very rarely do you see, you know, criticisms come from, you know, thousands of fans online that's ever, ever addressed by supercars because they just, you know, it seems like they're just, you know, they've got their heads somewhere you know where where it shouldn't be, rather than rather than paying attention to the people that are that are making the sport and and providing all the money for them that are you know bringing all those bums to the track. So they are uh, you know that's something that they've lacked for a long time. I think. Yeah, look, I mean, you can throw up a, a fan council and pat yourself on the back and say, look, we're we're listening to you, and then basically you listen and then walk away. Um, it's not even you know as I said, it's not even the you know for me the feedback of the fans. It's just not treating them like idiots. It's not pretending that they buy your bullshit, right? And, and and I think if you're open and honest about it, and that's what, you know, Davey was trying to do, and that's what Shane was trying to do, and they weren't doing it to be critical of the series because the series pays their salary. They're not dumb. They were doing it to say, listen, we can do better, right? We can do yeah. better as an industry and as a sport. So here are some of the things that we probably need to fix and get right. I think the fans respected that more, and I think that the supercars did more damage to themselves by coming out and 
saying, well, you know, if you're Shane, right, and you're sitting in the media, like, first of all, he's paid to be a race car driver. He's not paid to be a commentator, right? That's a bonus for all of us as, as fans of the sport, right? If the driver wants to tell us what's going through his head, great. But if not, he's paid to race that car until he retires and then he gets paid the commentary job. But I, but I sit back and I go, you know, there's no win for him, right? If he says, I'm not going to answer your questions because you're just going to turn them against me or I'm going to get a text, you know, from my team or from Scafe or from someone inside of supercars, then why would I just do that? I'm just not even going to say anything, right? And then he gets hammered for not saying anything. And my attitude is he actually said more by not saying anything than if he had have actually spoken. So, you know, Davey's the same. I think they're all under the, the same proviso. And I think the teams are as well. They're all trying to toe a line. Like we can all see how badly it's broken, right? Like the whole world can. And they're so insulated in their own little cocoon that they think if they all say the same thing and sing off the same song sheet, they're all going to start singing with them. Well, we're not that stupid. And, and I'll be honest with you, fans are not that stupid. You know, they know what's going on and, and they just want honesty, I think. 100%, 100%, yeah. Just if, if, if there's things that need to be addressed and, and need to be changed, as you, as you said earlier, admit you uh, admit there's things that do need working on and uh, and tell us how you're going to fix it. So it's simple. simple. I mean, by the way, it's how I run my business at Boost and even MobileX. I get on Twitter. I answer people back. I'm like the number one customer care guy. If I see someone's got a problem, you know, I try to get on Facebook and, and Instagram and try to answer as many fans back, the ones that like me and the ones that hate me. I don't care. Like, I just want to answer you back. I want to try to respond if you've taken the time to to respond to me or to respond to one of my posts or you bought one of our products and we don't have the decency to try to respond back to you i can't get to everyone because it's just inundating i've got so many different i think one of my posts yesterday is up to 350 400 i just can't get to all of them um in the comment section but you know i try and what i try to do is use a, a parent heading so we can actually speak to everybody um, but, you know, I listen to everybody, you know, in business, it's always been my trait to sit back and listen and and improve and, you know, not try to defend something that's not, that's indefensible. Well, yeah. you also, like, you don't just sponsor supercars and some of the drivers in our categories. You're, you're multi-sports, you're multifaceted. You've got yeah. athletics, surfing, moto, uh, moto X, is it? The... Yeah, look, we do. We obviously in the Honda uh, Boost Mobile Racing Team. We've got surfing. We've got the uh, you know WSL. We've got uh, the mountain biking, which we do down in Threadbow. We've got music that we do. Um, you know, we've got a huge amount of uh, you know different aspects of our brand that we push. But what I try to do is, you know, the, the Boost brand very much like the Red Bull brand. I think the Monster brand is all about adrenaline, right? It's all about energy. And so what I try to do with the Boost brand when we, we look at things that we want to sponsor, and I get a lot of people ringing me and asking me, hey, look, can you sponsor this? Can you sponsor that? And, you know, at some point you just say, hey, look, we've got a very clear strategy on what we want to do. Um, the reason why we're not a sub-sponsor on a supercar is because we either are Boost Mobile Racing or we're not there. You know, that's just not how I operate. It's it, it's got to be all or nothing. And we get a lot of people ringing up, hey, we'll give you the side of the car or the tail of the car. Or we'll give you this. We're like, no. Nah we want boost mobile racing and I'll just wait until we can get it. So we are very focused on the size and scale of what we do. We're a large company. So we want to make sure that we operate in that mentality of uh, we want to be the first and the biggest and the best in whatever we do. So is there a timeline for boost mobile racing to come into supercars? Like how's what's the realistic opportunity here with only one TRC that looks like they're, 
pushing to give to Blanchards. So, well, remember that the teams have to approve you. If it's left to the teams, I don't think they want us in there. I don't think one they want me in there because I'm vocal. I'll be transparent. Um, you know, I, I'm not a Camaro fanatic or a Ford fanatic, right? I love supercars, and so if I race a Camaro or I race a Ford, it doesn't really matter to me. We just want to be the best on the track. So, you know, I think from from their perspective, um, I think that that's a concern to them that I won't toe the line, and uh, and I think also that we will up the game for everybody else, right? We have the resources to do it, so we will up the game and we will make it better and, and put more pressure on everybody else. But right now, I mean, I think the top end of town, you know, they like their business model, which is basically there's only a couple of them. I mean, really, when you think about it, there's only one factory Chevy team, and that's Triple Eight, mm. right? Mm. But there's like three factory Ford teams, right? Maybe even four with Tickford. <clears throat> so when you look at the way that they operate, um, it's a very different, you know, the Blue Oval operates very, very differently. So you're really, if you're you're a forward team, you're basically racing the only one two-car team, which is the Chevy back factory team, right, which is Triple Eight. So we want to add more competition to that. So the front-end teams are like, no, nah, we don't really want you. And then the back-end teams don't want us because to them it's a business model, right? It's what makes them, gives them their salary and they basically run a small little rental car company down there everyone's given up on giving anyone expectations down there. So no one even cares whether they come fifth or 20th or you know, 15th, they basically get paid no matter what. And so I think that that's where we, we don't have a window to come in, right? We don't have a window to come in at the, at the lower end to buy one of those teams out because they basically aren't for sale. No matter how many people keep telling me they're for sale, they're not for sale because they make money. And then the high end front end teams, you know, they don't want um, more competition. So they're quite happy the way that it is. So, your teams control the sport and uh, and they control who gets the race and they can get to control the fans. I got a perfectly good car getting ready and an incredible driver sitting at home with me watching it on television while we watch backmarkers crash into each other. And I'm like sitting there going, as I was watching the race, I'm like, why aren't we there? Like if you're supercars, like don't you want guys like Boost there? Like you think this is it? This is the pinnacle? And it just frustrates me because I'm like, it'd be like having the star, you know, quarterback sitting on the couch at home because the other teams don't want him to play. It doesn't make any sense to me. It makes no sense to me. No, you're right. 100% right. And the fans aren't foolish and they they want the sport to expand themselves just to create the um, proper racing that we want to see. If that means yeah. we go to 30 cars on a grid, Perfect. We got a 30 cars on the grid. If imagine me, right? If I down the back, so bad. Imagine me. If I own a team, I'd be live tweeting, live Instagramming during the race. Like the fans would have more access to me than any other team manager and team owner up and down pit lane. I think we'd get a lot of fans out on, on our side. Even the ones that hate me, I think we'd probably end up following us because I'll be up front. I'll be live streaming and telling everybody what's going on what the problem is with our car, why we suck, why we're going fast, why that guy won't get out of our way. I mean, this won't be the zip up, you know, let's still tow the corporate line and, oh, man, you know, we could do better. That's always next day, always tomorrow. I'm like, no, we fucked up. We should have done better. I mean, our drivers were too slow today. I mean, we will be real. And I don't think they want that. I don't think they want that. 
that that's uh, that I think that's what supercars has been missing for a long time is is a, a little bit of controversy, a little bit of drama that, that goes on inside of it. You look at other categories around the world, you know, sp- any sporting category, you've always got somebody that's uh, a little bit out there and a little bit, you know, dramatic. The the NASCAR guys are really good at it. They get out there, they have their say, they get a little bit a little bit lippy sometimes, and it, and it creates excitement. It creates fan like it, it gets fans interested, even people that aren't interested in a sport. When there's a drama going on inside a sport. People that haven't even watched it before go, oh, what's this? Why is there some, you know, why is this this stuff in the headlines all of a sudden? And then they they look at it, and and that's what's missing from from supercars is is they don't have anything like that. And that's what they that's what they need. They need that to to boost and lift the sport to you know a, a next level. I think. Look, they're all a bunch of backstabbers. Those teams. I mean, just it's so ironic on the weekend how they, as I said before, they pat each other on the back, and then the second they get a chance to throw the knife in, they throw the knife in. You know. I just want to get in there and mix it up with those guys. That's what we want to do. Supercars knows that. I think if it was up to Supercars, we'd be there. I think they understand the entertainment value and the factor of that we would bring to it. But as I said, it's not up to Supercars. You know, we, we, we've signed up for another two years um, for Supercars, as you know, at the Boost brand. And, you know, my team at Boost run that, so I don't really get involved. Even if I said don't do it, they have the ability to overrule me. They can just say, no, nah, <laughs> we're doing it. And they do it all the time, by the way. I'll ring up and say, I don't yeah. want to do this. And they're like, yeah, whatever. And then they just go do it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, but I'm fine with it. I mean, that's what we pay them for. That's their, their, yeah. you know, Jason and the team there are designed, uh, are, you know, are in that organization, not for me to tell them what to do, but for them to basically run that organization. So yeah. we signed up because we love the sport. And we think that, you know, over the next six months that, supercars will slowly start to see and start to put more pressure on the teams to say, we're going to give him the charter for 2024, whether you like it or not. And what are they going to do? Sue supercars, right? Yeah. I mean, they're not going to sue them. I mean, they just accept it and move on. Yeah. Shane and, uh, and Barclay and those guys, they just need to get a bit tough, man. Just say, listen, it's our sport. We invested in it. We spent all this money buying this sport. We're going to grow it. That was our promise to you. Now get out of our way. We're letting these guys in. And we think that they'll grow the sport because yeah. right now you've got a big brand like Boost sitting on the sidelines, right? No car. Yeah. And I will not sponsor a team. And we've been asked, I will not sponsor a team until it's our own team. Yeah. I think, I think Dave, you, you said it a while back. We need someone, you know, a bit, bit more Tony Cochran. Yeah, it's a very, very Tony in, in Cochran attitude that needs to be applied. Yeah. The benevolent dictator. So if everyone pull together, do it my way because you're just going to promote the sport, turn it into a multi-million dollar turnover and yeah i just don't think they, I think they i think they honestly think i mean you think about it right now i mean i've i've uh you know have a say and i've i've got you know a, a a big company that's willing to get behind it and i think that you know their concern is you know they'd rather me just go away um and not agitate them but anyone who knows me i don't give up right i will wear them down Right, I will get on Instagram every weekend, and I will point out the facts. Right, with no political filter, I will just point out the facts as they are. And I'm seeing that you know more and more people are going all right. And the more we do these type of podcasts, where I say, listen, even if you can't stand me, even if you think I'm the biggest sook in the world and that I'm a crybaby and I'm all these things, fine. Just follow me. Get on my Facebook page and have an opinion. I'll listen, you listen to mine, and we can disagree. But you know what? Let's start talking and let's start moving in the one direction. Let's start driving the fans towards making a change. And I have the ability 
to be able to be their voice at a very senior level inside of supercars, right? Where you may think that, oh, I'm not being heard. Get behind me. Again, even if you hate me and you don't even want to follow my team if I ever get one, get behind me because I'm probably the one catalyst on the fan side to make things better. And so that's what I say to everyone. You know, come on, have a whinge, do whatever you want to do. I don't care, but at least come on and have a say. Yeah, that's perfect. 100%. Yep. Yeah, I think I, I think, think it did it garnered a lot of support. Supercars fans in there, whether they were pro Peter or against Peter, you were able to sort of pull them together and, and steer them in one direction where the, what we were actually the end result, the end game was trying to improve the sport, having more cars on the grid, putting more investment into the sport and bring back some more fan experience and 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 better, harder racing. Like it's all positive. There's no downside it's a win-win for everybody to be perfectly honest there's no losers in it, this argument. it is and, and i don't mind criticism of me because sometimes that can be over the top sometimes i can say some things that even in the back of my mind i go well we could have done that a little better but you know i'm okay with that like i'm okay with people coming on and basically you know saying oh where's your car like why is your car there you said you're going to turn up a new car on your car wasn't well first the car wasn't ready um, so it's very hard to turn up with a transporter and roll out a, a rental thrifty Camaro. Um, <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. So we we just literally, literally couldn't be there. But that's okay. I mean, they don't hurt my feelings, right? I, everyone thinks, you know, everyone gets really sensitive. Oh, man, that guy came after him. I don't care. Right? I actually respect them because they took the time to come on, right? And a lot of them, if you go back, I try to comment on. I just try to, you know, downplay it by literally playing up to them going, you know, what are you talking about, right? And, and a lot of them, you know, a lot of these fans, they don't have the facts right. Yeah. But that's okay. Half the time I don't have them right either. So I, I forgive them. We had a little bit of back and forth a, a while back in terms of, I think it was when one of the supercars teams, I think it was DJR, was, uh, you know, trying to do the, the carbon neutral thing, which, you know, I kind of think is a good idea, but you you don't like it and you dis- disagree on it. We, we had a bit of a back and forth on that, but, you know, you, you never once told me to, to piss off and, and never want to, you know, say anything again. It's just a, a bit of, you know, it's a back and forth. Each Everyone's got their own opinions on something and you, you don't have to, you don't always have to agree with people. It's just, uh, you know, that's just the, the way it is. So, no, look, I, I think that it's, um, I just think it's 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 funny that a a V8 supercar team becomes carbon neutral by panning a bunch of trees, right? Which basically is how you offset you get carbon points, as you know. It's, I'm also the same on organic food, by the way. I think organic food is the biggest ripoff of all time, <laughs> um, considering that you only need to have, especially in the US, I think 25% of the ingredients only need to be organic and you can actually call yourself organic. If you've got processed sugar in your foods and it's organic, it's still processed. So, I, you know... I, I, and when it comes to carbon, I, I just found that funny because if like five of the trees die that you planted, is you no longer carbon neutral or what, what happened? So I just think that that's not something that a supercar fan is sitting back going, hey, because if you really were that concerned about the environment, you turn these things into electric cars. Now, not one of you guys are going to turn up to listen to an electric car go around that circuit at Bathurst. So if you really are, and, and that's why I come from it, like I'm okay if you can do something yeah. that technically is better for the environment and doesn't cost me any more, all for it. Well, even, even myself, as you know, I like to consider myself a little bit of an environmentalist, but as a, as a diehard motorsport fan as well, I'd die if supercars ever lost that sound, you know, to, to turn them fully electric, it'd, it'd be, you know, and, and unless they can make an electric car that sounds like a V8, it would, uh, it would kill the sport, I reckon, so... 
but but you and I, you know, being an environmentalist that's concerned, I'm concerned about that as well. I, I will be honest with you. Like I love mountain biking and I don't want to see the, you know, the trees and forests knocked down. Right. Mm. So I think there's a certain amount of preservation that we should keep for us, beaches, all that kind of stuff, I think is absolutely yep. critical. Not letting people build on beaches. So yeah, I'm I'm all about making sure that we all get to enjoy nature, right? And that we don't kill it off. And so I think that that's absolutely critical. But as far as the environment's concerned and the carbon neutral, the biggest polluters are the poorest countries in the world, India, China, Indonesia. And if you're poor, the last thing you give a shit about is the environment when you're trying to feed your family. Mm. So until you can fix them, what we're going to do is really going to be nothing. Everyone's like, oh, you don't do nothing. Then you've got to do something. I'm like, well, you know what? If you want to do something, get on a plane and go over and start helping the the poor people. And uh, once you get those guys sorted out, then you'll get the environment. But we're such a small dent in the scheme of things. Um, but again, I'm all for more land, more open parks, more beaches, more water, cleaner water. I love all that stuff. And I think that that's absolutely yeah. critical to, to, to our country. Beautiful. Awesome. So uh, there, there was one question that I that I did have. It's a little, little, little bit more of a lighthearted one. This, Peter. You do, do come across as someone that really likes winning and and doesn't like to lose at all. So why do you support Parramatta? You know, <laughs> that uh, that hurt. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> that that hurt. So I, it goes back, man. I used to sit on the hill at Parramatta. It's basically it was about 15 minutes from my house when I grew up in the Western suburbs. So Parramatta became my team. There's no doubt that Parramatta has been um, the single biggest disappointment in my life. Um, <laughs> I know one of the directors there, you know, as I said, I think I, I, think I made a joke when I said that, uh, you know, when I go into the grave, I want Parramatta team to lower me in because I want to be let down one last time um, <laughs> by Parramatta. But uh, look, you know, at the end of the day, it's not manly. Yeah, true. That's very true. Very true. So I'll give you at that. At least one. it's better than yeah. Manly. I know a lot of diehard Manly fans. Yeah, we wouldn't be talking. 100%. Dave and I are both Storm boys, so we had to give you a bit of a dig on that one after round you, one. You're so. Melbourne boys, right? Yeah, Storm. Are, yeah. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I, I'm a Collingwood fan. Oh, oh that's, 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 that's even, that's even worse than Parramatta. <laughs> nah, because nah. yeah, obviously we sponsor and I'm good friends with Geordie Degoey. That's and right, so, yeah. Yeah, so we were, you know, Went and watched those games. And I'll be honest with you, I, until I really started following the game because of our support of Geordie, I actually didn't like it. Well, I've been in America 20 years, so I was kind of into the NFL and the rugby league. And then I went down and watched the game in Melbourne um, at the MCG where, where Geordie was playing. And I'm a massive fan of AFL. I, I don't want to say that because um, I'm obviously <laughs> a, a you know, New yeah. South Wales rugby league boy. West, Western I, Sydney I boy, yeah. No, I, love, I, I actually used to think it was seriously just a lame-ass game. And <laughs> I've got into it now, and I actually find it just quietly a little bit more interesting. I'm born and bred in Wagga in New South Wales, so I'm a country New South Welshman born and bred, so it took me a long time to get into AFL. But I've been down here for 20 years now, and I actually do quite enjoy it. But, uh, me too. It's, yeah, it's, it, it does take you a little bit. For someone, who's, for someone who's been rusted on rugby league their whole lives, it does take a little bit to get into. But once you do, it's really enjoyable. Because you actually don't think that there's any really uh, skill in it. It's just a bunch of guys chasing a ball. But actually, <laughs> when you start to watch it, there actually is a tremendous amount of skill in that game. 100%, yeah, definitely. And yeah. In, in terms of sport as well, you, you say you're into the, uh, the NFL. Who's your team there? Oh, and the NFL over the Chargers. Um, Chargers? So, uh, 
Um, uh, yeah, no, Mike Williams is one of the wide receivers there. So I, I love the Chargers. They're obviously LA just up the road from us here in Orange County. So won't tell you I'm a Rams fan then. <laughs> no, mate, you know, everyone's got their faults. <laughs> <laughs> right. Wasn't the storm? Didn't we send you the storm? Wasn't the storm some team in Sydney, Western suburbs, or whatever? We sent you them down to you guys. What were they before uh, the storm? Oh uh, no! Well, primarily Adelaide Rams. Yeah. Oh, the Reds. Yeah, I, I'm the sure Reds. we donated a team to you guys, or Adelaide. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it came from Western okay. Reds and Adelaide. You, you donated our players from there. That's right, you the Western you, Reds. You, you donated us a team, and we just made it good. Yeah, yeah. No, you did. Yeah. You did a good job. Do you get to go to the that. footy much? Do you get to go out? I went when I was back in Australia during COVID because I spent a lot of time there, obviously, because um, we went into complete and utter hell in Australia um, and you couldn't go or couldn't go leave. So I went to a couple of games when I was down there and I go to a few games here. I've been to like six Super Bowls actually in uh, in the US. You know, NFL is a funny game. A lot of people don't get into it, but actually when you live here, it's like AFL, when I lived here and I got into it, you actually quickly realize the skill level, you know, of the defensive coordinator and the offensive and the two sides of the teams and the, the thinking and how they're trying. I mean, it's how those guys basically throw the ball and then it lands straight in the guy's arms, like, and he's ran that way. I mean, it just blows my mind. There's a lot of skill in that game. I just love it. I've always said NFL is like a, a, a game of chess where you beat the crap out of each other. That's basically right. what it is. So, yeah, yeah, you know, there's so much strategy involved as well. And then you just, you know, once you've made your plan, instead of moving your chess piece, you go and throw yourself head first at a, at a you know, 200-pound bloke with a helmet on. So, <laughs> great. Hey, hey, Rowan, you could have at least put a Boost Mobile 500 backdrop behind you instead of that liquid molly shit you've got up. I, I, I was actually trying to but we were we were running a bit late with the uh getting the uh oh, okay because i'm just sitting there looking at it going and, and we had a car in that <laughs> race as well jesus yeah I was, I was trying to get it sorted out and then the uh the meeting started abruptly and i completely forgot okay, well so, next time next time 100 for next time i've even got it ready to go i just didn't get it up there so you, you reminded right. me it's all good <laughs> i'll forgive you so, so I don't, what else I don't do you even get have... to do with your spare time then, Pete? Apart from working, obviously you're a hard-working bloke, but you've got your family time there. So how do you balance your work and your family life? How, does, what's, how do you find the balance? For, for so that? it's a good question. So I actually didn't have a balance for a while. When I first started Boost, it was work, work, work. Maybe I got to the family and then fitness was like dead last. And I got really quite ill by running that lifestyle constantly around the clock, um, missing things for my family. This was when I was in my 30s and, and uh, early 40s. I was working my ass off and I had a bit of a, uh, you know, a health scare on my heart because I basically was over 200 or so pounds and I was, um, I was not healthy. And so the doctor said, you keep running at this pace, Peter, you're going to end up dead. And I don't know whether you guys realize, but uh, when you're dead, it's very hard to come back from. <laughs> so there's, no, there's no medicine that will bring you back from that. So I, I, it was a wake-up call for me and I was like, I better get so then I reorganized my priorities to family, fitness, and work. And I've I've done that with Boost and every company I've got. I tell my employees straight away, do you have a family matter you want to deal with? Nothing. I don't care if it's the most important meeting in the world. Go do that. Go do that meeting with your family. Go spend time with your family and fix that up. Second one is fitness. Like just get active, right? You know, and I, I'm I'm mountain bike two hours every day, right? I'm an extremist in anything I do, so I can't do anything by half. But you don't need <laughs> two hours every day. But if someone comes and says, I'm going to go for an hour, I'm going to go surf, or I'm going to go for a run, or I'm going to go for a bike ride, or I'm going to go do this or play tennis, good, go. I want you to. Because 
if your family's healthy and happy and you're healthy, work will only become more important and mm-hmm. you perform better. And, and, and so I reorganize my priorities. And ever since I've done that, I've had more success. Um, so I just tell anybody, family, fitness, work, that priority. If I find out that you're in the office and your family had something out at school or you were needed and you didn't go, I'll fire you. So, okay, okay. And I said, if I, you know, I want you to also get out and be active, right? Because everyone's like, oh, I'm working so hard. I haven't got time to get active. I can't do this. I go, okay, fine. Don't just get up at six o'clock in the morning, right? You want to take off around 10 or 11? Go, go do something. I'm okay with it. Fine. I mean, like, the world's not going to end because you're away for an hour. So that's how I really had to, but I had to learn the hard way. Like I got very, very sick. So I had to learn the hard way. And um, I'm, I'm glad I, uh, I got out because I've got a lot of friends of mine who haven't made it, who've been working their backsides off and basically have, uh, have just dropped dead because of their you know, heart issues, which they never knew they had. And, um, you know, so I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to go that way. It's great values. It's great value because uh, you can't buy it back. You can't buy the no. time back. doesn't matter how you much can't. money you got. You can't. Oh. And it's, it's so funny because, you know, you just think that every day you're working and everything's going, you know, you're working your backside off and you think I'm going to retire. And, you know, a lot of guys just like, and girls, they just drag themselves into the ground so hard that they, they get depressed and anxiety and they wake up and they're like, man, I'm, I'm like, I'm over 50. I'm, I can see 60. What the hell? Like, where's my life gone? Right. And so I say, get out, enjoy it, have fun. But more importantly, I mean, I've got a kid in uh, Pepperdine up here. My my teenage daughters are all in college now, and and uh, my eldest ones, you know, got a baby up in um up in uh, Newcastle. And I look at that, and and it was like yesterday that they were like five. <laughs> it's like, mm. what happened? So, and I think it's just really important that we, you know, because I look at supercars and business, you guys, you know, as much as people get really passionate about it, it's a game. Let's be honest, our health. Mm. And our family's more important. That's what makes us successful. It doesn't matter how much money I've got in the bank. If you had a great family and a great life, you're the most successful human being in the planet, right? Yeah. I agree. 100%. Absolutely agree. And that's how I look at it. And everyone's like, well, what if you lost everything? Okay. I started with nothing and I was just as happy as I was <laughs> when I had something. I'm not scared to lose everything, right? I'm not. I'm really not scared, Right. I know supercars, I'd love it. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a key key to uh, a, a good thing to have as well, though, is not being scared, you know, it allows you to take some more risks and stuff as well when you're, you're not scared to uh, throw it all away for, you know, a risk or something no. you think might work. It, it's definitely going to help you in business as well, I'd say. It, it does. And, and, you know, as I said, I'm, I try to take my time. You know, there's, there's, you know, you're in life, you have these things where they, you remember them as a kid, right? And there's one instance that I remember as a kid. My dad was a motor mechanic and we didn't have a lot of money. And, and he was his boss, he was a truck mechanic, but his boss had these, this boat, right? And my dad really wanted to show, show us kids this boat. So he, he took us down to the boat and um, he was showing us around and the owner turned up and basically kicked us off the boat, right? Get off the boat, you know, you guys shouldn't be on here. And I said, oh, my dad, anyway, I remember sitting on the wharf, right? And I remember the look on my dad's face, right, of, sheer disappointment that he was trying to show us and we got booted off right and this big rich guy basically threw us off the boat right and and so that moment in time for me was like i am never if i ever got successful i would never treat anyone like that 
Yeah. And you know, I went on, I bought a 80, 90 foot boat and I would have people come on, kids would walk past and say, hey, come on, have a look at the boat, you know, helicopter, come in, look at the helicopter, let me take you for a fly. And, and there's those moments which, which are very grounding. And so for me, you, you'll always see when I'm at the racetrack, I always try to talk to as many people as I can. I try to say hello to as many people as I can. I'm not an elitist who walks straight into my motorhome and just hides. I try to go out and talk to people because I was once on the hill. I was once one of those kids and I'm still that person. And yeah. for me, that's how I will uh, I will always operate. Now, you just remember these things in your mind, you know, as a kid of like, I'm never going to treat anybody like that, right? The irony yeah. is, by the way, that that guy that had that big boat actually went broke and actually called me to actually ask, would I actually help invest in his company to keep him afloat? And I'm assuming wow. that was a no. Oh, it was, it was uh, who, who are you? So that guy, <laughs> he, he went bankrupt. So, um, and you know what? That, that that was his attitude. He deserved to go bankrupt. That, that's yeah. karma, yeah. Karma's going to come for you, yeah. So it was, a good, it was a good feeling. So so what do you do with your spare time then? Mount, mountain bike. Do you have any? Mountain bike and the kids. I've got an eight-year-old. Um, so I just basically do mountain biking, kids, and and work. But I work 24-7. So I'm, I'm always on, right? So, you know, that's the greatest thing about having these devices. So, yeah, I'm always on. You know, I was in New York last week doing a media tour for Mobile X, you know, Fox Business and a bunch of different uh you know bloomberg etc so I'm, I'm, I'm always on that front but my is basically taking those two hours a day just to go unwind ride my mountain bike forget about everything and then come back but yeah my life i took 18 kids to universal studios 18 nine-year-olds um i don't know if you've ever been to universal studios it's hard enough with four of you you try to take <laughs> girls with you it's a complete and utter nightmare but i love that like I absolutely love it. Most dads are like, ah, I couldn't think of anything worse. I'm like, I love it. So I'm a very That's big awesome. family man for those who don't know. I think that, that they are extremely important in my life. I think that's a good trait for anyone to have. It's just, you know, so many people just, you know, especially people in, in business and that have been quite successful have end up, you know, their, their parents, when they, they get to a point where they're quite successful, they're running the business, they kind of lose track of spending time with their kids. So it's good to, you know, good to see that there's people out there that are putting that as their priority and still spending as much time as they can with their families. Yeah, that, that to me is just the greatest part of life is kids and the fact that hopefully they'll look after us when we're old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Insurance policy. Yeah, they have does No, but it is because I've got a mum that's suffering dementia right now and um, it, it's, it's, it's hard and, you know, she's got three kids that are going to look after her, right, because she looked after us. So I think that that's hopefully, as I said, that'll be payback. Although knowing my kids, like as I said, they'll just throw me in a room and throw the key out. So dad will come and throw you food once a day. But um, look, I think it's 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 great to have you know a good family. So speaking being and then, sorry to hear about your, your mum with the dementia. There, did you uh, hear that the I think the F one's new uh, title charity this year is the uh, is is for dementia. So Jackie Stewart's got on board and and actually made the uh, yeah title sponsor. A, I can't remember the exact company, the charity, but yeah, it's a charity that's dedicated to kind of doing what they can to eradicate dementia, which I thought was pretty good because not a lot of people focus on that. I, th- I don't think so. It, it is funny because it is actually very widespread. Like you know, obviously the problem is that it happens to old people. Right, hmm. and when anything happens to old people, it's almost like accepted. Yeah, well, they're old. Of course, they're going to get dementia. Hmm. It's okay, but they're still a human. 
And mm. and I was the same, by the way, until my mum got dementia. I was like, yeah, it just happens to old people. I, I you know, so I'm not even interested in really knowing about it. And and when it happened to my mum, and we I found it when we're over here in the US and we had a, a brain scan and we could see the part of the brain that was actually, you know, shrinking. It was an eye-opener for me. And then when you go through it, the problem with dementia and is that you get to, you know, sadly you grieve twice. You grieve when they lose their minds and then you grieve when they die. And mm. it's very few things that you you, you have to go through it twice. Um, you lose your mum, you know, mentally. She's no longer your mum. It's just the body sitting there. And then obviously yeah. you go from there. So it, it is just way more widespread than uh, than I thought. I think I read the other day that Chris Hemsworth has the gene, right, the dementia mm. gene. And, and someone said to me the other day, will you get tested for it because your mum's gone? I said, no, I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, if there's a cure, you know, I made, I made, I made jokes about it with my mum going, you know, when she was diagnosed. I said, mum, you know, when it's Easter, you'll be able to hide your own Easter eggs. Look at all the positives. <laughs> um, she's like laughing and carrying on. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you've got to, you've got to kind of smile about it because at the end of the day, there's, there's no cure to it. So when I sit with her, it's quite unique because I get to talk to her and she doesn't know who I am, but I talk to her like a friend. Like so, she's yeah. telling me about her kids, and it's it's just a very nice thing to uh, to be able to still interact uh, with your mum, but you know, knowing that your mum doesn't know who you are. So, but look, I, I'm glad everyone's doing. It. I think I'm trying to get more involved in it because um, I think it's a, a disease that's more widespread than we may even know. Yeah, definitely. I think Bruce no, Willis has got it now. Yeah, so. yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think it was that. Yeah, or whether it's dementia or multiple sclerosis, one of those two. But no, he's got dementia. Yeah, yeah, all right. Yeah. A form of. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, live every day as we come. That's, that's the key. That's that's the one. That's it. Well, is there any questions or anything you want to talk about with us? Pete, anything you want to know? No, no. I, look, I, I mean, we obviously chatted for a while, and I think that um, I, I love. You know, as I said, I could do any really podcast I wanted to do. I love these grassroots podcasts. I hope the fans get behind you guys. I hope they they listen and I hope that other guests will come on and really get you guys to be kind of like the the grassroots, um, you know, podcast for the fans and with zero agendas, just to want to make the sport better. And, and I, I know that I'll say something you won't agree with and I hope you call me out on it. And I expect you to call me out on it. And then I'll respond, and um, then I'll probably never speak to you again. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, we, uh, we know that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want you to call me out, and I'll, I'll come on and, and defend what I've said. But as I said, I want everyone agreeing with me. What I want them to agree with is that the sport can be better, and all of us collectively can make it better. Yeah, that's right. Everyone pushing together. So thanks for having me. No, Pete, thank you very much for your time. But yeah, the last most important question of the whole lot. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? No. It's a stupid thing. No, anymore. That's the end of it. You were going so well. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> Sweet and savoury mixture. It's a perfect yeah. combination. I guarantee you when the Italians created the, the pizza, their first thought wasn't pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I've ever been to an Italian restaurant that has pineapple on their pizza. No, for sure, yeah. no. Why don't we, we put banana on there? Jesus, why are we just yeah. why are we discriminating against the banana or the orange? <laughs> just, just us Westernizers came in and bastardized it. So banana and bacon doesn't really go that well. Oh, no, I don't get it either. I don't get putting a shrimp on a pizza either, or a prawn as they call them back then. I'm sorry, I don't get that. What's your go-to pizza then? 
Oh, mate, I go with the standard margarita. I'll just throw some pepperoni and sausage on there. It's just pretty simple. Yeah, beautiful. Some of my yep. favorites as well. Yeah. Love it. Hey, it's funny. Right. In Australia, I used to order the uh, vegetarian with beef. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, well, they, they do pretty good sometimes. They're just even better when they're No, I, I so, go to pizza yeah. and I get the vegetarian with beef. So, yeah. hey, boys, thanks for having me. Appreciate uh, it. I appreciate uh, your time, mate. Thank you very well, much. Thank you very right. much for We'll uh, catch up again. All right. Uh, definitely at the Goldie. You coming out for that one? Yeah, I oh, know, mate. I won't miss that. No way. Yeah, so next time you're back in Oz, um, after your mobile exit. Hopefully I'll have my wild card there. You guys can come up. Sorry, Fingers crossed. Hopefully you can do a live cross out of our pits with our wild card, Richie and the Gold Coast. Oh, yeah. Uh, wild cards. How do we get one of those? What's the deal with that? I mean, it's the same thing, mate. It's like it's the teams. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Look, the only time I get on a racetrack is when the teams agree. So just remember that. It's not supercars. It's the teams. So when we'll, the teams we'll keep agree, then I'll, I'll get on. I'll tell you. We'll keep piling the pressure on. Renee Gracie gets her wild card back at... You know, someone said that, and and I've been away for 20 years, and I actually didn't follow Supercars until 2017 or 18 when I took Boost back over. So I didn't even know who she was. And so everyone kept saying when she announced that she was going to do something, like, you got to get behind her. And I kept saying, who is she? Like, I, I wasn't around. Like, I wasn't following Supercars yeah. up until when I came back in walk, with my walk control car, which was 2017. So I literally had no clue who she was. But I will say this, that some of the things I read that people say about her, and I don't know her, she's still someone's daughter, right? Oh, yeah. She's she, still... Uh, it's, it's, it's feral. It's terrible. Uh, so I just sit back and go, you know what, that's just not nice. And, you know, if supercars are worried about her image damaging their sport, then their sport's already damaged, right? <laughs> so that, that to me is something that that is just frustrating. So... Anyway, I don't, yeah. I don't know from anything, but I just think that maybe a little bit more respect. Um, that, that, go a long way for a lot of things, mate, 100%. That sort of stuff's going to be talked about in the podcast this week, actually. So we'll uh, yeah. tune, tune in for that one and we'll, uh, we'll be right. having a bit of a chat about that sort of stuff. Awesome. All right, guys, be good. Uh, take it easy, Cheers, mate. Man. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Thanks very much for your time, mate. Cheers. Much appreciated. Bye. Bye.